and welcome to The Sweet Spot on a Farm, episode 51. If this is your first episode and you've no idea what this podcast is about, The Sweet Spot on a Farm is about health and food. It's my search for an answer to how can we achieve healthy body and mind with the resources that are available to us locally. And I'm looking at what we can do to improve our health and what and how we eat to support it. I bring in some interesting guests who have a lot of valuable information to share and who can provide us with the tools we need to lead a healthy, happy lifestyle that is personal to each and every one of us. I talk to natural health and fitness professionals, organic farmers, food producers, therapists and anyone whose business and life's mission it is to keep the rest of us healthy. I ask them about their work, their passions and their lifestyles and I wonder what they like to eat. And we share cooking tips and plant-based recipes we can all easily make at home. Now in the last episode we talked about environment and I feel like today's episode is particularly important if we are to continue that debate because when I think about our environment I think about our ecosystems and biodiversity and I've been thinking about it a lot especially since the start of the lockdown and the beginning of my voluntary work at Azora Co-op Farm which is actually where we are sitting right now by the way. Um, But when it comes to biodiversity, we really need to talk about the bees. And that is exactly what today's episode is all about. And my guest is a young lady who has been learning a lot about bees and the bee community and the role they play in nature, but also about the bee products and their benefits. And I hope she'll share at least some of the knowledge with us today. And it's my pleasure to welcome one half of the father-daughter duo behind the Beehaven beekeepers, Emma Thompson. Hi. Uh, hi. <laughs> that was a lovely intro, but I'm not that young. <laughs> well, you certainly do look very young. I don't know what, what, what your secret is, but I'm sure it has something Maybe to do with bees. bee venom. <laughs> I'm always kind of 30% bee venom at any one given time. <laughs> now, before we get started, we are sitting in the Azura Polytunnel and uh, I... I told you before we started recording that um, before we had to pull out the dying sunflowers that were growing out of the tunnel this um, tunnel was actually um, full of bees and they were they were loving they were like I caught a few of them falling asleep Uh in in the sunflowers and they really liked it here and now they're all gone because there's no sunflowers but uh, you know even though um we have a few things here to attract the bees. You actually just told me that the likes of the we have borage here planted around the around the tomatoes, and and you were talking about that actually bees are not the ones who pollinate the tomatoes. Yeah, no, they're pollinated by bumblebees. So there's many different types of of bees. Honey bees are really important to us because they live in large colonies throughout the year. Uh, smaller colonies in the winter time, opposed to the to the summer where there's about sixty thousand bees. Honey bees in in any one given beehive or feral bee colony um, and they're really important as honeybees are important and, and focused on quite a lot because they have they have the ability to pollinate a large amount of crops in a very short space of time because of the amount of bees but there's other really important bee species that that live with us and they're solitary bees and bumblebees and and I'm not going to profess to know every type of solitary bee because I don't but certainly bumblebees um I actually saved a bumblebee colony a couple of weeks ago from somebody's house and they're living their best life in my back garden now in a little kind of small bee box and I feed them honey and they're just what I would imagine them to be lying about watching tv in their pants kind of at the end of their life because (laughs) 
because because they're this is the end of the season for bumblebees but um so bumblebees without bumblebees we wouldn't have tomatoes and that's because bumblebees buzz pollinate and that's the buzz that you hear uh the bumblebee will go to the tomato plant and it will buzz and then the the pollen then will um go on to that bumblebee's hairs on on its little fat little fuzzy body and it will go around the other the other tomato plants then and pollinate so big tomato growers will actually have colonies of bumblebees commercially kept bumblebee colonies just like beekeepers have bee honeybees tomato uh, growers will have bumblebees and that's it's so that's how they pollinate their crops honeybees don't like tomato plants because there's not a nectar reward for them at the end of it so uh, honeybees are very very intelligent and uh, have been trained you know in scientific labs to do certain things for uh, nectar uh, rewards and um, there's not a nectar reward for them in the tomato plant so that's what happens with tomatoes so you essentially have to bribe them yeah Listen, yeah, they, they absolutely, the honeybees are, are very intelligent, as are all bees. Um, but actually, bumblebees would be, would have a special place in my heart. I do actually um, love the bumblebee because I kind of see myself in a bumblebee. Like, technically, bumblebees shouldn't fly. They're not, they shouldn't be able to fly, but they do it anyway. So that's kind of how I kind of, you know, think to myself about my life is, should I be able to do that? No, but I'm going to give it a shot anyway. So that's, I'm kind of like the the spirit, my spirit animal would be, or my spirit insect would be a bumblebee, I think. So tell me about the colony you saved. What what happened? So um, it was a girl, I actually know her from school, um, uh, primary school, many, many years ago. But she contacted me because she was getting some decking put into the house um, and the back garden. And there was a bumblebee a colony that had come alive whenever the joiners were in you know with doing the woodwork part of it so she asked me to come and could I can I move the bumblebee colony for her? um and actually it's not hard to do bumblebees can be moved though I do prefer not to especially at this time of the year because bumblebees die out at this time of the year what happens with the bumblebee colony is a new uh, a new female queen bumblebee will um be mated and then go and hibernate like in the soil in the ground um, and the rest of that colony will then just gradually die out towards the autumn time so it's only one mated queen that will hibernate over winter um, so at this time of year I, I sort of said to the girl you know can you wait a couple of weeks because bumblebees aren't going to be about for very much longer and she said no so I, I took the bumblebee colony put it in a box and took it to Ballygown and put it in my back garden um, but yeah so and 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 then in in the springtime with bumblebees that queen wa that queen wasp that queen bumblebee rather will come up and if you look quite closely and it depends how warm march is but certainly in april time people will see massive big bumblebees um very early on in the spring depending on the warmth as i said um that'll be a queen wasp. that'll be a queen bumblebee i keep on going to say wasp that'll be a queen bumblebee what happens there is she comes up and she's got no larva, she's got no workers, she's just on her own. She has to build a nest from scratch herself. So she'll build a very small nest very quickly. So she'll be about, quite big, she's probably the size of your thumb. She'll be about uh, gathering bits and pieces, building a nest, laying eggs and feeding those larvae. Those larvae will grow for like a shorter period of time. Um, so the first worker wasps that you see in the spring will be smaller because she can't let them gestate for 
uh, a long period of time because she hasn't got time to wait. She needs them quicker. So she'll start it all off herself. Then the little worker bumblebees will hatch and come and help her. And then she'll not leave the hive um, for the rest of the season then because her job will be to to, to lay eggs um, and to, to make that bumblebee colony grow. But it, it's never a massive colony. It's a couple of hundred maybe. Wow, I never knew that. This is Google's amazing. a wonderful thing. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully Google's right. <laughs> wow, this is interesting. I really didn't know that it, it, it was bumblebees pollinating. But you know, do you know I spent so much of my time, um, especially, um, I mean, the phone calls I get... Uh, one comes to mind it was a, a an elderly lady phoned me to say that she had are you the bee haven beekeepers yes uh-huh um i've got a bee problem in my garden and i said oh right okay well what's happening well if there's lots of bees in the garden <laughs> that's not a <laughs> problem said, that's a blessing how lucky are you <laughs> isn't that wonderful and she says well I'm whenever I'm at the front door they come around to my head and I said look they're not going to bother you have you got a nest do you think I don't know I don't think so I think I've just got lots of bees but I don't like wasps and I said well wasps are really important too um so a lot of the time um I now spend it used to be talking about how important how important honeybees are and, and I still do that I think the the population has come a big step forward into accepting bumblebees and honeybees and into the you know the important kind of species category but wasps are super important as well and I do spend a lot of time now trying to convert people from wasp haters to maybe not wasp lovers but wasp appreciators because wasps are really super important and without wasps we wouldn't have plants for the bees to pollinate because wasps eat the green fly and the aphids and they're super important and they get such a bad rap because they're a little bit you know badly behaved towards august time and that's mainly because um the wasp colony collapses um in august or in late july and there's no queen um and the wasps that you see in beer gardens and drinking your coke and you know flying into your pints and hovering about your head or in the bin licking you know ice lolly papers that's because they're starving and they've no queen and their whole world has collapsed and they've got nothing better to do so um wasps an interesting fact is that wasps worker wasps collect the green flying aphids they and the nectar and some pollen and they bring it back to the to their colony they feed that to the larva the larva regurgitate that food and feed it back to the worker wasp and the worker wasp eats what's known as like a sticky sort of sweet substance that the larva regurgitate so the worker wasp can only eat that so whenever the queen dies out at the end of july early august um there's no more larva so there's no more food and there's no more queen and the queen, the new queen, does the same thing as a bumblebee, newly mated queen does, and and hibernates in the ground. So that colony completely collapses, um, exactly the same as bumblebees, as I've said. So, come August September time, wasps, worker wasps, just have nothing better to do, and they do become a bit of a nuisance. But prior to that, we have to kind of learn how to appreciate the wasp. I believe. Wow, I never knew this either. That's really interesting. I never liked wasps for a very simple reason because when I was a kid, I spent a lot of time in my grandmother's garden and she had loads of bees and wasps flying around and I got a lot of 
things over the years but what I really didn't like and I felt really unfair is that when I got a beast thing the poor bee died when I got a wasp thing the bastard lived yeah. <laughs> yeah well that's the unfortunate thing I mean well honeybees evolved from wasps honeybees are just honeybees are just vegetarian wasps and the reason that a honeybee dies whenever it stings you is because of the shape of its barb so the barb on its on its stinger goes into the skin but because it's almost like sword shape like an arrow shape mm. um, so it can't come back out so the reason that the honeybee dies whenever it stings you is because the barb sticks in the, in the skin because of the nature of our human skin and it pulls its I suppose what you would it, it's sort of gastric sort of all of its like internal organs are pulled out so what you see hanging out of your hand isn't the stinger it's like the the guts and the intestine of that bee Aww. yeah I know. So um, that doesn't happen um, with wasps. I do believe I could be wrong, and I'll come back to you on this, but I'm not sure if bumblebees die whenever they sting us. But certainly honeybees do. So I never got stung by a bumblebee, but loads of bee stings and wasps over the years. And I always, yeah. like when I was a kid, I always, I always cried, but very rarely it was because of the pain. It was more, oh, the poor bee died. I, <laughs> I remember one of my earliest memories, and if my dad is listening and my mum and dad are listening to this later on, they might remember this too. But I remember being at the gate at the bottom of our garden in Dundonald and uh, being stung right here on the nose. <laughs> oh, Yeah, right there on the nose. And I remember dropping my ginger snap biscuit and I think I was more distraught because my biscuit was on the ground <laughs> than I was about this thing. But I remember, I remember that so clearly. And maybe, you know, some of these, a lot of our memories sometimes are maybe just things that we've thought or dreamt. But I kind of do believe that that actually happened. It's one of my earliest memories is being stung in the nose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine usually were in the feet. I was a lot off because oh. we were running around naked around my grand's garden and barefoot all the time. So I would, it was always a case of stepping on the, on the poor bee. <laughs> well, the worst thing, the worst thing I ever had was um, a couple of years ago. Um, and I mean, if it had been caught on camera, it would have been one of those moments that you would have got, you know, hundreds of pounds for on, um, on the TV because it was, it was comedic. I ha was shaking a, a, a frame of bees back into our hive up, up at Castle Ward and I didn't have my uh, veil zipped. One of the things about, you know, keeping bees, keeping honeybees is that you, you know, really have to look after your health and safety because it can be dangerous you know it can't if you if, if you're not properly clothed or you haven't checked each other to make sure you're properly zipped up it can be dangerous um and i hadn't checked and uh, my veil was open at the neck so i'm sure about 20 or 30 honeybees all went into my veil and I could just feel them start, I was starting to sting my head. So I was like, Dad, I've got bees on my veil. So I was running and there was a lake. There's like a big kind of like a, a, a lake at, at Castle Ward. So I was running towards the lake to jump in. Luckily enough, there was like an event happening at the other at the other part of Castle Ward. So there was nobody about because that place would actually be quite busy with visitors. And dad was banging me on the head and pulling my hair out. <laughs> and I was going, Daddy, stop. Don't pull my hair. Don't pull my hair. And honestly, so I had to take a week off work because my face swole up and you couldn't, I mean, the bridge of my nose, my eyes were like at the side of my head oh and I had to God. get steroids. <laughs> I was, it was, it was, it was quite funny. It was quite funny. But that said, I had a scar on my head and whenever my swelling went down, they, well, it's not really a scar, but it's more like a, a, a patch of skin that doesn't have any melanin. 
from uh, sort of hitting it a couple of years ago. And whenever my um, swelling went down, the patch had decreased in size. So it must do some good. Oh, wow. Jeez. Beekeeping is a dangerous job. Can be. <laughs> yeah, can be. Um, I really want you to tell me everything you know about bees. But um, before I get to torture you with all my questions, um, I want to know a little bit about your journey because you are a sales rep for beauty care products. Um, you also just told me that you are a trained hairdresser and beautician. Um, so how long have you been doing that? And when did the bees come into the picture? So um, I, I had my daughter whenever I had just left school so um, my daughter's 24 um, and um, I I had Rick whenever I was 17 so um, it was it was after that that my um, beauty therapy and hairdressing came into play so um, I trained I trained whenever Brooke was young before she went to school um, and I really enjoyed my job as, as a beauty therapist and hairdresser but um, I suppose looking back over the years I thought maybe I should never have left it because I actually really enjoyed uh, enjoyed that but whenever I think about where I've come and, and the skills that I learnt as a beauty therapist it's it's all come into play anyway so um, so what happened then was I left and um, worked in the call centre for a little while um, and then I was I was snapped up by a vending machine company as a sales rep and was given a very I was very lucky to get the opportunity actually because I had no experience but I'd bumped into this um, the managing director at an interview for an admin job and he said no no I, I would like you to be in my sales team so that's whenever my sales uh, career in uh, vending started and since then I've I've repped for many different com- uh, companies including Mars and Hovis um, account managed firms like Linus Food Service and now I work for Cody representing the brands Rimmel, Max Factor, Sun Shimmer and Sally Hansen. Um, but Beehaven happened, the beekeeping part of Beehaven happened first. Um, and that happened probably, I mean, the idea of it, a lot wasn't called Beehaven then, it was just I want a beehive. Um, it happened about seven years ago. Uh, Beehaven Body Care, um, which initially was I'm going to make a lip balm. Um, it happened um, coming up on 18 months ago. So the journey in Beehaven body care has been huge in such a short space of time um, but the Beehaven beekeepers uh, came about because initially it was because I had always struggled with my skin um, randomly um, and I tried everything and really I'd had acne from 11 until you know what was that maybe 30 34 um, and it was it, it really did get me down my skin was never great um, it was in fact it was never even halfway good um, and I came across something really random which I'd never ever heard of before which was called probiotics and that's really where um, and I know that we're going to touch on probiotics because we're both fermental oh, yeah. <laughs> we're fermental but um, probiotics is what is what opened the door to uh, my interest in bees because um, I speaking to Jackie in Nature's Way in Belfast, big up Nature's Way. Um, she had advised that I try some probiotics, eat some fermented food, look at my gut bacteria, which I'd never, I'd never really heard of. And bacteria was bad, and I didn't think that you should, you know, try and make your, you know, gut give give more bacteria to any part of your body. But um, if I become interested in something, I generally research it to death. 
um, and I became very interested, uh, borderline obsessed with fermented food and probiotics. Um, and I'd started to make kombucha, water kefir, milk kefir, sprout juice, everything that was fermented. And, you know, I love fermented food, but I mean, let's be honest, it doesn't always taste the best. And in researching that, and I'm just watching the lovely bumblebees behind you in the polytunnel as we're talking, but researching that, I uh, came across uh, raw honey was probiotic. And I was like, wow. Uh, something nice, something sweet, you know, something that I can enjoy with my supper um, that will taste nice but also do my gut good. So I bought some honey from the Highlands of Scotland, uh, raw honey. And I remember taking the spoonful of it, just, it was a big, you know, three kilogram thing. It was really expensive, taking a spoonful of it and thinking, wow, you know, I, I knew what honey was and I knew it came from bees didn't know it ever tasted that good you know so I, I started and um, literally I can just I can see, still see it I picked up my phone and went to google and went how is honey uh, made you know where does honey come from or how is honey made something like that anyway I knew it came from bees like I said but I didn't know the process so um, I started to just read very sort of broadly about honey um, its benefits and where it comes from and honey bees and honey bee behavior and very soon I fell down what I would call uh, the rabbit hole of um, my bee journey. Um, and I remember then, you know, reading everything that was available on Kindle about honeybees and beekeeping and all the rest of it and going to my mum and dad's house and, and sort of announcing it. I remember going to Nature's Way and announcing to Jackie, I'm going to get a beehive, I'm going to get, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become a beekeeper. And people were just looking at me going, this girl is just slightly crazy. My dad said to me, um, I think they still look at me and say that, to be fair, they probably still do. But um, my dad was like, you know, what are you going to do that for? Um, so, um, true to my words, then researching it, um, I then signed up for the preliminary beekeeping course at Kalinchi Beekeepers Association. And daddy retired around the same time. So he just kind of naturally just kind of came with me on my first um visit to the class and, and just from then on it's the beekeeping part of beehaven has been has been dad and I and luckily enough that dad's there because you know there's there's lots of the beekeeping bit that I can't do I'm no good with the hammer and nails I can't put frames together and I've never even attempted to do anything like that so you know dad's great um at helping in the woodwork sense and he's also great at you know at, at helping me in, in in the general um looking after of the bees and um, I'd be lost you know without that help definitely. So where do you keep your bees? So at the minute we have a colony in Downpatrick and we have um, seven colonies um, or an, what we would refer to as an apiary in Montalto Estate. We, we used to be in a few different spots but coronavirus um, and not being able to get at our hives because they were in the National Trust um, we actually removed them just in time um, and we um, had already started in Montalto on a very small scale but Montalto really opened their doors to us and, and let us put all of our beehives there so you know 90% of what we do is based in Balnehinch but we used to have a few at the house in Money Ray and a few at my house in Ballygown but um, really you know peak of the summer 
it can be a bit hard on your neighbours whenever you open the, the colony and 60,000 bees go in the air and they're outside having a barbecue and stuff. So although you can do it at home, I don't want to put anybody off. You absolutely can. A lot of people do. But, you know, we've been lucky to secure some space at, at Montalto, which is beautiful in the orchard. So it's lovely for the bees as well. Very diverse. A bee's diet has to be diverse as well as a human's diet does. So you, you're looking for lots of different forage and there's definitely that in Montalto. Yeah, I can imagine how neighbors would not be appreciative of sixty thousand bees in here. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, you know, what what bees are not our bees? What are you talking about? I didn't see any bees. <laughs> what do you mean you got stung? How do you know it was our bee that stung you? Like a big yeah, cloud you, of bees yeah. above your house. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what bees are yeah, you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like a game of chess. Um you never quite know what's going to happen next i always kind of go back to my gut feeling which is the bees know best and that's kind of the ethos that we stick to um there's many different ways to look after bee colonies and manage manage bees i i and i almost struggle with the term beekeeper because i don't like to think of me of keeping the bees i like to think of sort of like bee lover maybe emma thompson bee lover rather than a beekeeper i'm not sure but um so we're more of a, a natural kind of approach to beekeeping so um we will look after the health of the hive look out for diseases um, monitor for things like that um and treat for varroa which is um the pain in the backside to the bee community um and, and beekeepers alike uh, it's a little mite that attaches itself onto the back of a, of a honeybee. Um, uh, and it's almost like the honeybee wearing a rucksack around. Um, sometimes they can have two or three on their back. Um, it doesn't affect the honey or anything, but it does affect the health of the hive because the varroa mites are vectors for other diseases. So, you know, they can like almost have like a gastroenteritis kind of bug in the colony, which would be caused by varroa. But varroa is a pain, it really is. So we would monitor for varroa and treat for varroa how do you do that how do you there's two different types of treatment so there's one which is like a thymol a thyme based um like sort of herb um treatment which i mean very smart scientists realize that varroa don't like um thyme or thymol as it's called so at the minute that's one of the treatments that are on the hive so whenever the honey flow has gone in in august you'll you'll or september you'll put your your thymol um treatment on the hive it's just almost like a little cat food tin full of like this sort of pungent um gel that's inside and and the honeybees will touch it as they're passing through the hive and then they'll pass it on to each other just by touching um and that makes the varroa might drop from the back of the bee so and then there's a, a treatment that you you do then in the winter time which is it's like a smoking treatment that you put into the hive and um it makes the varroa mites I mean, you're never gonna varroa mites you're never gonna get rid of there's never gonna be there's no colony i believe um in in northern ireland or the uk that um hasn't got a varroa mite i'd be very surprised if there wasn't a varroa mite somewhere but it's just something that for the bee's sake that you have to look after so um although we would say we're more natural i suppose truly natural beekeepers wouldn't treat for varroa mites and stuff but we but we do uh what what we also do is I'm kind of a big advocate for letting the bees do what they do naturally. So there's always in like sort of May, June time, even July, there's a big sort of um, 
fuss about swarms and I've got a swarm in my garden or you know um, can you come and get this swarm and swarms can be scary to to non-bee people um, but swarm uh, swarming is just a term for what bees do naturally to divide um, so like a plant you know um, which would drop a seed and grow another plant um, a swarm is a part of the colony usually a third of the colony um, taking the old queen and leaving a new queen behind um, so out of one colony you'll have two and quite often they'll split a few times maybe three maybe three times so that that colony that has left the hive will be a third of the colony of the original colony and it'll go and it'll look for somewhere else to live um, we're a big advocate of that because what is really important to um, sort of the local environment is that there's more you know feral or, or wild bee colonies um, not all of the bee colonies will survive because of, of, of weather and, you know, the fact that there's so much over farming and not a lot of bee food about there. But, you know, if some of our colonies swarm, go find somewhere else to live in Mont Alto Estate and then they'll swarm and they'll swarm and they'll swarm and they'll swarm and they'll swarm. And then, you know, over a period of a couple of years, you'll have lots of different um wild bee colonies that are out there. And, and for me, it's, it's about it's as much about that it's actually it's more about that than it is about about honey honey for me is is it's something that we get we don't get very much of it honestly um this year has been pretty pants um and the amount of money that it costs to keep you know eight ten bee colonies treat them buy new equipment and uh, throughout the year i mean honey isn't a profitable uh product i use it in my my beehaven body care but um for us it's about the environment whenever it comes to bees which is where the name bee haven came from because um we really want to be a haven for bees rather than farming of bees to get honey so we we don't really want that's not really what we're about and this so this is um really important and let's let's talk a little bit about that because not everybody will be familiar with how important bees are to the environment and to biodiversity and our ecosystem. So let's talk about that. Why are bees so important? Because um, because they, they pollinate. Um, bees are important to every crop and every plant. Bees in general, so as I said about the tomato plant, it's bumblebees, but bees in general... Um, are important to every plant apart from wind pollinated crops apart from your cereals and your wheat and things like that and um, which are pollinated by wind everything else is done um, by bees and and more so by honeybees because of the size of the colonies um, in the warmer climates in America and California I mean, we wouldn't have almonds without commercial beekeepers in um, California you know we wouldn't have avocados without commercial beekeepers and and i think there's a lot of i'm not going to get into the vegan debate you know with a touchy subject so i'm not going to go into it but everything that we eat including all of our vegan staples will be pollinated by um bees that are kept commercially for that purpose um so without those commercial beekeepers without beekeepers locally or without even just a passion for conserving bees and, and not killing a bee or you know trying to promote bees into your garden without all of that all of those things together well we wouldn't really survive for very long and, and also without wasps 
we wouldn't survive for very long because we wouldn't have the ecosystem that that we have bees are such an integral part to the heartbeat of 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 the planet really so you know anything that pollinates is is so important just to identify um understand that we need to look after them and whenever i started beekeeping i didn't realize that that was a honeybee i didn't know i thought a honeybee was a bumblebee i didn't realize that there was a difference i actually had never seen or known that i'd seen a honeybee until i started to investigate beekeeping i'd only ever seen registered in my mind that i'd ever seen a bumblebee i, I had never seen it whenever i looked in my first colony i actually thought to myself wow they look like wasps you're gonna laugh at this but when i was a child like we knew the difference between wasps and 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 bee and a, and a bumblebee because we had them in the garden and our grandparents would educate us and we had we had loads of it because my grandfather had green fingers and he was growing loads of things and so uh, and my mom would grow flowers in the garden to attract the bees in so so we kind of knew but I always thought as a child and this is this is just Go too funny on. I always <laughs> thought that honeybee is the female and bumblebee is the male ah. <laughs> well it's funny that you touch on on the the male female uh, divide in the hive and actually there's a film what's it called bee movie is it called bee movie and I watched it aghast a couple of years ago thinking this is terrible because it's all centered around this little male honeybee in this little colony where there's a a, a king and a queen and it's absolute rubbish because that's not because <laughs> that's not what happens right so you know that in a in a, a honeybee colony there's the queen and there's the workers and the workers are all female they're all female and the queen's obviously female there's no queen there's no king And drones, which are the male honeybees, they are only they only come out kind of late spring into the summer. And at this time of year, there's no need for drones anymore. So what we'll find at the doorways of our hives is the the workers, the female worker bees, will have kicked the bumblebees out because there's no need for them anymore. They're a drain on the resources. They're, the bum the 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 honeybees um, only need drones to mate with new queens so that swarming thing that I was talking about so whenever the swarm with the old queen goes to live somewhere else they leave behind two-thirds of the colony and a new queen who hasn't hatched yet and she'll hatch a few days later well that new queen has to mate now she'll not mate with the drones in her colony because actually they're they're her son okay so she has to mate with drones from other colonies so They'll go up to this drone mating area, the the unmated queen and all of the drones from all the other colonies, and three or four of those drones will mate with that one queen, and they'll give her enough eggs to last her for her lifetime, which can be three years, um, and she'll she'll uh, lay up to two thousand eggs a day in in the summertime. Um, so wow. drones drones are only required for that period of time when this there's newly unmated queens when the swarming season is in full peak. So winter time. Or autumn time into winter into early spring drones won't there won't be any males in the hive whatsoever they'll only be there for a few weeks and they have no other purpose they don't do anything apart from go on a mating flight and mate with the queen and then they die 
I die as soon as I've made Do you know the little feminist in me really loves this? Yeah. No, honestly, but it is. It's such a female. It's such a female. And it's, it's, it, it is it is a very feminist environment. Can you, it totally can you imagine the human it's world the working world, like this? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Right, so guys. Not say you've done your job now. Fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's all that that's that is all of the that's all that the drone is there for. It is just so the the queen a queen bee can lay two different types of eggs. So whenever she goes up and mates with the drones from the other colony and she comes back, she can lay them two different types of eggs. She's got eggs that she'll make herself, which are unfertilized eggs, and there's fertilized eggs, which she has gotten from the fertilization from the drone. Um, oh, they, wow. wow, there's the rain. Lucky we're sitting in a yeah. polydoggle. <laughs> so the unfertilized eggs. Wow. This is crazy. It's like the world's ending. Do you know, like skipping right on to our weather this year has been terrible for, for bees. It's not been a great year for um, anybody who's into honey production. I mean, our own honey this year in the hives has been very low because the, the the really wet summer happened during honey flow so um we probably a, a third of what we got last year but so do they what they actually what do they actually do with the honey so they, do they just is it just for them to feed on yeah so um the bee will do nectar in the plant and a plant and you'll know this from from being so green fingered and I mean I am not green fingered I often get texts or, or or messages from people saying what plants can I grow in the garden to attract bees and I'm going to be honest I'm like I don't know giggle it I'm not really sure I am not a good gardener but I do know about nectar um, and how bees turn that into honey so what happens is they they get the nectar from the plant that's in nectar flow at that particular time just because a plant's in flower doesn't mean there's nectar in that plant. It happens at different times. And quite often in our um, environment in Northern Ireland, there'll be times where there's not very much nectar about. So we'll have to feed we'll have to feed the bees to make sure they don't starve at different times in the spring and summer and obviously in the winter as well. Um, but the nectar that's in a flower, a particular flower, will be 80% water, 20% sugar. So the bee sucks that up through its big long proboscis, which is its tongue, and puts it goes into its stomach. The bee goes back to the hive and it will then regurgitate that nectar in and put it in a cell, a beeswax cell, um, within the comb, within the structure of the colony. And that's that bee's job, because they've all got different jobs. That's that that bee, that's that's that job over for that bee, and that bee will just go and do that all day long. And it'll be passed over to to another bee who's doing another job and what that bee's job will be which is that one of the things that i find amazing um is that that bee will fan its wings and dehydrate that honey so that it becomes it becomes 80 percent sugar 20 percent water and as soon as that bee is happy that 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 um nectar is now at the right consistency for honey. It's also an inverted sugar, which means that whenever the bee, whenever the bee takes it into its stomach, it inverts the sugar. So honey's a better sugar for us to eat because it's already been processed by the bee in the bee's stomach. Um, but going back to the comb, so 
the bee will dehydrate that nectar until it's 20% water, 80% sugar, and then it'll cap it off with a little beeswax top. And that's kind of that bee saying, that's there for a rainy day, literally for a rainy day. So um, the bees, the, the reason that we get honey in, in the summertime is because there's more nectar and the bees are busy. So they'll be bringing lots of nectar into the colony, sometimes, sometimes not. Um, and capping it off and saying that'll do us um, over winter. Um, there's a, a, a school of thought, um, and I've had a few questions about this. Like, why do you why do you take the why do you take the honey from the bees? You know, why do you do that? Why don't you just leave it on? Um, like, you know, are we st- stealing the honey from the bees or whatever? But actually, with our environment, and there's the rain away. So, um, whenever whenever it's sort of our environment, the bee keeps a colony at a certain temperature all year round. So whether it's 40 degrees outside, which never happens here, um, or it's, you know, minus 10, that bee colony, and I think it's around like 32 point something degrees. I could be slightly off by a degree or two there. Um, it constantly keeps that colony at a certain temperature. So just like the bee fanning the cell with the nectar in it to turn it into honey by dehydrating it, there's also bees then that are fanning their wings or vibrating their bodies to keep the colony warm or to cool it down to make sure it's constantly at, at the 32 degrees. So um, if we keep the honey on throughout the winter, there's a bigger amount of room that those bees need to keep at 32 degrees. So you're actually overworking the bees and bees the queen leaves, lives for three years, but a honey bee, a worker bee, uh, only lives for around you know thirty to to forty days in the summertime. Jeez! They work themselves to death. Thirty days really in the summertime. Over winter, bees that are at this time of year will see us right through to March, but they do less because they're only there just to keep the colony warm. They don't do as much work, so they live for a little bit longer. So if you think about it like a battery, so that that honey bee has only got so much life in its battery. So if we were to keep the colony which is a, a, a big box size of a box really plus two or three supers on the top of that that colony of honeybees the worker bees will have to keep that colony at a certain temperature by vibrating their bodies which will drain the battery sooner which will you know obviously not be it'll be detrimental to the colony because bees will die off faster the queen doesn't lay eggs in the winter time um she sort of stops laying whenever the cold months come in so they can't repopulate so it's actually important for the beekeeper to take those extra boxes away because those bees now need to concentrate on keeping the colony at the right um temperature and environment to see them through the winter um so what we'll do then is they'll have stores in the actual box as well so they grow out and they'll have some stores at the very extremities of either end of the box but we'll actually put feed on for them as well so we take the honey off the bees to save them really to be honest and obviously um it's nice then to have you know honey to to put in products and um to to give to friends and family too so essentially the honey that we see in the shops or the honey that beekeepers produce for their own home use that's essentially surplus. That's essential to take yeah, away. I think from in a warmer environment, you could probably argue that it could be kept on. Um, if I think, yeah, in our environment, it needs to be taken off just to prevent the colony from overstretching itself. So yeah, it's 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 surplus in the sense that we can make sure that they don't starve in other ways 
by by feeding them um, good fondant feed. Um, so it doesn't take up any extra room and it keeps them it keeps them alive. So what do you feed the bees over winter? Over winter it's it's an inverted sugar fondant. If you think of your um, cream buns that you get in the bakery and the nice white, I mean I have a real sweet tooth, the nice white um, thick icing that's on the top, that's a fondant icing. So uh, we buy uh, the beekeeping uh, variation of that which is the sugars are inverted. Um, you can, some people just buy the fondant that the bakers use. Um, I've never tried it, I don't know um, much about it but we buy, it's called inverted bees. So in the winter time you feed them fondant because fondant is instant energy. It's like us having a sip of Lucozade. And in the win- in the summertime, whenever um, they need some help in times of dearth, that's what we call whenever there's not very much nectar about, we'll feed them a syrup. So it's also an inverted sugar syrup. But the syrup they can store in the cells. Uh, fondant they can't they just just like like I said it's like a like a sugary drink but in the in the summertime we feed them the syrup and they can put the syrup in the cells and fan it down and create um stores from it um and one of the reasons that good honey is seven eight maybe more pounds per jar and the honey in the honey island tesco is maybe one pound 29 is because those bees that um have made the cheap honey will probably, I mean, there's very little um, of that honey that actually comes from flowers. There's very little of that honey that will actually come from nectar derived from um, flowers. It will all be from um, bees that are fed, and not even really on syrup, but on high fructose corn syrup. So basically it's like liquidized marshmallows. So if you're buying cheap honey, for medicinal purposes, don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Cheap honey's okay for porridge, uh, but if you want honey for your gut or you know to be healthier or you're taking it on a spoon every day because of your hay fever or any of those reasons, just get a good jar of honey and expect to pay upwards of seven quid. Yeah, and also raw. It has to be raw because normal honey, the the, the kind of honey, typical honey that you get in in supermarkets even when it's not one pound twenty nine or whatever it tends to be pasteurized so you're yeah. essentially killing all the good bacteria in it, it. Do, absolutely um and to make honey runny i mean i laugh because and my partner will kill me whenever he hears me say this but he likes runny honey on his porridge <laughs> so i actually buy that honey that we're talking yeah. about for him. But honey's not like that, is it? It's not. No, it's no, thick. it's not. No, it's not like that at all. And um, to make honey runny, you need to heat it and let it cool so that the crystals are smaller so that it doesn't crystallise um, or it crystallises at a slower rate or only if you put it in the fridge. So, um, yeah, I mean, and to do that, as you said, you know, heating honey up to a certain... Uh, yeah, I think you can heat it below 40 degrees and not kill the bacteria. I could be wrong, but I think that's right. Um, but to make honey runny and keep it hun- keep it nice and clear and nice and runny even in the, in the colder months, it has to be heated and it's not... It's not got the bacteria. The, the amino acids as well it would be would be um, changed too. So uh, raw honey is definitely the way to go. Honey on the comb is just um, the bee's knees. Pardon the pun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I used to love that as a child, actually. I remember that. We've put in a crate. It was our first year of doing it. Um, so I do love um, cut comb. Um, some people can be like, oh, I don't like the beeswax. Or, I like the chewiness of the beeswax. And it's, it's a very... Um, 
it's a very sort of specified taste I suppose but this year what we've put in the hive and we've been successful to a certain degree with it is um, crates of sections so hopefully whenever we um, take that crate away in the next week or two we'll have little wooden sections that are filled with cut comb that don't even need to be sliced they just go straight into a box um, and that is I mean it, it couldn't be any more untouched it's literally from the hive to to your spoon we're not going to have very much of it so um but we did i think we've been lucky enough to get some some sections this year from the hive so this honey that's what comes from the honeybees and we talked about bumblebee and we talked about wasps are there any other types of bees that we can find in our environment mm-hmm. so there's solitary bees like um mason bees there's um there's um woodcutter bees and there's lots of bees that live in very, very, either by themselves, completely solitary, or very, very small numbers um, that will have a pollinating job to do, um, but won't have a lot of stores. Like the bumblebees that I have in the garden at the moment, um, I check in on them all the time because they're so sweet. They don't even, yeah, I can take the lid off and have a wee look at them. They, they, they don't even sort of care, really. But you can smell the honey. And there's not very much of it, so they collect honey in tiny little cauldrons that they've made themselves called honey pots. So there's, there's a very small amount of honey just to get them by because there's no backup plan required for these solitary bees and for these um, bumblebees because they don't they don't need to see themselves through the winter because they don't survive in the winter. It's only really honeybees that have that big sort of um, that they need the, the the stores to get them through the winter months. Almost like sort of like you know little squirrels or you know any kind of hibernating animal um, that would sort of you know pack stuff away to make sure that, that they've got something to eat in the winter. Honeybees do it like that, but most other bee species, I believe, don't need that level of um, backup plan. But they all, um, I, they all obviously very important for our environment, and I'm really glad that you talked about the wasps at the beginning because. I do remember when you talked about when when they, you know, uh, when they have no more colony and no more queen, how they you know fly around everywhere and get into your cups with your sweet drinks and, and attack things. your bee colonies. They do that as well. Oh, the do they? Yes, they do. So my rule of thumb is, um, I will be a real advocate of wasps and try and talk about them and change people's perception about wasps, but. Come August, we will actually put. Um, oh, and there's a little bee. Um, uh, come August time, we'll actually put some jam and water out beside our beehives because they do. If we've got a weak colony, and and quite often in the apiary of maybe, you know, seven, eight, ten, whatever it is, colonies that you've got of, of honeybees in that apiary, not all of them are going to be massive big. Um, colonies or big hives you're often going to have a couple of really strong ones a couple of ones that are okay and a couple of ones that are maybe teetering on the edge of of collapse and need some help so the wasps will find those colonies and they will attack those bees and there you can often see warfare going on at the front of the hive and it's very interesting to watch a strong colony will fight off the wasps every single time but a weak colony won't We've went into colonies, uh, some of our colonies in Montalto last weekend, and you know wasps are living among the bees, and the bees are just so you know in that particular colony were just so weak that they couldn't do anything, and the wasps are going in and out and eating their stores. So yeah, the <laughs> rascals. So um, what we do then is kind of um, sort of help them along their way because they're not going to survive anyway by giving them some um, jam 
um, and and a nice bath, and that kind of they. People say to me, um, if I put jam, I would say put jam out in August, but not before. Don't trap wasps before then. August September time, put jam out, um, and the wasps will die happily, um, with a nice sort of um, sugary bath. But will that not kill the bees? No, bees are too intelligent. They don't want cheap jam. They want nectar. So bees won't go near your jam jars. So put some jam jars out at the end of the season for the wasps, um, and and that will help, sort of. Um, if you've got a particular like wasp issue in the area, that'll help that, and that's what we do at our apiary for. Oh, that's really nice because I do remember like um in my grandmother house when when there was the the, the season for wasps wasps to be circling around and constantly sitting on her. I remember, um, a lot of the time um I used to love um melon. Mm-hmm. watermelon and we would be sitting with grandparents on, on outside the house eating our watermelon and the wops would be circling and sitting on the watermelon and my gran had this little tool handy where she would just slap the, the wasps yeah. and she would just instantly kill them just <laughs> so um yeah I, I guess maybe that's that's not the, the right thing to do to kill the poor bastards they <laughs> well, you know, serve a purpose if, like, you know kind of like I think you know at the end of, at the end of the summer in autumn, yeah, you know help them along their way because they really are just suffering anyway. Um, but um, but yeah, like you know, we certainly do trap them and and um, I did help a few along their way whenever I opened that bee colony last week and saw them living among my lovely, cute little honeybees. So I, I did sort of um, help them along that kind of the last I don't want to say that I beheaded them but I did okay I beheaded them I beheaded a wasp I know I know I know but it was it was attacking my bees and it was (laughs) it so bad and it's September I looked at my diary and I was like it's September I can do that she's gonna die anyway (laughs) oh um now, you mentioned at the beginning that you did some beekeeping course, and I think this is this is one thing I really wanted to um, talk about because um, I guess there are a lot of people nowadays who are really interested in, in uh, protecting the bees and keeping bees. So if somebody really wants to get started and somebody thinks about, hey, I might want to keep a few bees... Where can they go on a course? How they can learn? Okay, so definitely what that person needs to do. Um, you can just go and get some equipment and get a nucleus of bees and have a go, uh, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't suggest that you do that because it's probably not going to end well for the bees. You need to kind of have an idea of what you need and what you, and, and and what you need to do and when you need to do it, and you need to have a support system as well. So what I would do is encourage that person who's interested to contact the Ulster Beekeeping Association (UBKA) um, if you Google that, um, and look for their local preliminary beekeeping course. Um, there's many of them in Belfast. There's Calinchy, you know. There's beekeeping courses. Um, there's there's lots of them about Northern Ireland. So, um, beekeeping associations rather. So, if you attend that course, you'll learn a lot about the theory and practical. And it's also a good way because um, it's not it's not overly expensive to start. But once you get started, the costs kind of start to mount up. So, um, it's good to have an idea first whether it's something that you want to do before you spend the money. 
you know you need to have a beekeeping suit you, you're going to want to get some bees after the course is, it, it kind of runs in the winter time so it ends at a really good time um so that you so it's kind of just the early part of the summer whenever the course ends and then it's about time for you to get your first nucleus of bees if you're still interested um but whenever you add all those costs up and certainly the costs that you'll need for your second year where you'll be adding supers and maybe a second or third hive, you know, you need to be 110% sure that's something that you want to do. Um, I get a lot of queries on my bee, uh, my bee Haven Facebook page um, about how to become a beekeeper. Um, sometimes, I mean, I got a particular message this year of um, a girl that was she was a bit bewildered because she put a box a beehive in her garden and she still hadn't got any bees so um i was had to explain to her that that's not really how it works i think she was trying to catch a swarm which you can do you can do but it doesn't it doesn't really happen like that you don't just put a box out and bees automatically just kind of appear you know um within a certain period of time um it's not like almost like mushrooms it's not it's not like that <laughs> Oh, so, you don't just like come into your garden and see a beehive there. Yeah. Oh yes, let's just live there. <laughs> you know, do you know what would happen if you weren't if you didn't want the bees? Oh, absolutely, that's going to happen. <laughs> right, as soon as you want a colony of bees, they ain't going to appear. They're not going to appear. So, um, go to the Ulster Beekeeping Association. Check out your local um, preliminary beekeeping course. Probably a good time of the year to start thinking about that if that's something that you want to do. I don't know how it's going to run this year with COVID. Um, but um, that's what I did. So I, I attended that course and I really was really sure that that's what I wanted to do. And through the contacts within the Beekeeping Association, I was able to get myself sorted out with my equipment and my insurance and my bees and and, um, and everything. So definitely that that's where that person should start. Can you give people an idea what the... Um the cost at the start is how much are we looking at to if, if you just want to get started at the beginning very basic you know you're maybe talking below 200 for a nucleus of bees a nucleus is a term for a small colony um, that comes in a box and that would include the, the polystyrene box you are um, a beekeeping suit proper one don't get the silly ones off Amazon get a proper beekeeping a bit good sheriff one um, I can't even remember how much it cost, but I'm sure it was in and around a hundred pounds. Um, you're gonna need some equipment. Um, you're gonna need a a beehive, a box with frames and a stand and a roof. Um, and you know, I I, I kind of want to say for very basic, probably six seven hundred pounds. Uh, initially but then you know you know you don't want to just have one colony because is that colony going to see you through the winter especially your first year as a beekeeper you know is that colony going to survive so you kind of want to get two because you want to have a backup plan and then the next year of course that colony might split or you might split that colony to prevent it from swarming it depends what you want to do so then from that they've got two colonies you maybe want to split then you're going to have three and then you might catch a swarm, you know, you might get called out to a swarm in somebody's garden and you've got four beehives. So that's four boxes. And then, quite, I mean, we started off with two. Um, and I think at our utmost two years ago, we probably had 12. So that's 12 beehives, 12 supers, 12 um, supers full of super frames, um, treatments. So it's, it's one of those things that... Um, you need to kind of plan for it not just being one colony initially 
um, it's gonna be a little bit more once you buy the equipment it's bought it's there you maintain it and you can use those super boxes again and again and again you can use brood frames for a couple of years and then you know your second year you probably get some honey and you can sell it we did we did tot up our first year of getting honey we didn't get any of our first time our first summer of having bees we didn't get any honey because it's a nucleus of bees it kind of grows throughout the summer um it's not really big enough to to pr pr provide you with any any honey the first year unless you're very lucky so second year we um looked at what we got in terms of volume and then we totted up what we'd spent feed treatment equipment and um the the jars that we sold for seven quid that year actually cost us 40 pounds oh my god <laughs> oh my god now, that's year one year two year three year four year five year six you're still using the equipment that you've had since year one and year two so the cost gets less and less and less but you know um it it isn't without its um expense but do you know i'm glad we were talking about this because i for a while i did work in a health food shop and you hear people fretting about how expensive mm. Um, raw or local honey mm. is and well this is why, this is why. And, the, and hearing that you're actually losing money on it and, yeah. and do you know and then you almost look guilty having to charge people seven pounds for a jar of honey but bloody hell if it costs you 40 you're you're, you're losing <laughs> a lot of money on it Jeez. yeah definitely now that's maybe your first year and it depends i mean this year isn't going to be a great year for us in particular beekeepers in different areas will have different experiences of 2020 and what what honey um they got so what honey crop they got from their for their colonies but i use my honey in my um products so it's uh, probably it's 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 of more commercial benefit to me as an ingredient rather than an end product to sell so that actually takes us nicely to that because i i really want to talk talk about this <laughs> so you make a lot of body care products yeah and that is something that I've been using for a while. I've, I know, I, I love I've, hearing I've, that. Like people I don't know, they're like, "You make that?" And I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's me." I've been before we hit before we did hit record. I was raving about your shampoo. <laughs> we can we can definitely talk about that. But so so tell me, so you you were keeping bees, and then then you how did you decide? Okay, I'm gonna make. Stop it was really it. random you know I honestly think I've been preparing for this part of my life from a small child because you talk about being in your in your grandmother's garden and, and your memories of a child uh being a child and and bees mine my memories of being a child was making mud pies mixing things together being in the garage playing with my chemistry set or upstairs in the bedroom all alone stamping things and pretending that I was in a post office and if I look back if I look if I look Whenever I'm doing that at home, you know, making soap, it's it's a chemi it's a chemistry uh, uh, process, really, you know, and, and stamping my labels, everything's hand stamped, and I'm thinking that's that's that that's the post office. This is the <laughs> chemistry set, and making things and coming up with formulations. It's making mud pies, you know. So it's it's all been it's all been like foretold from I was a very small child. Um, but what happened was uh, it never really it was never a plan, um. I made um I I started taking a, a medication. So I, I I told you about the reason that I became a beekeeper was because I discovered that honey was a fermented food and I've been just sort of exploring probiotics and healing my gut. Well my skin had been clear. Um and I, 
it was mainly because of the, my, um, I think I had a yeast infection in my gut that I actually cleared up um, with the fermented food. But um, sort of 18 months, two years ago, my skin broke out again. And at that point, I knew a little bit more about the benefits of the, the bounty from the hive. Um, and I actually had some beeswax and I had some honey and I had some oils or whatever. So um, I made... Um, I made a lip balm actually initially, but quite quickly that became a face intensive, what's known now as the intensive skin balm, but it was like a face, a green, I used to call it the miracle green cream or the, the, the wonderful green cream or something, but it was a green balm with avocado and honey and castor oil and I put it on my skin and I, honestly my skin um, cleared up. I want to say overnight, but like definitely within, I remember taking a photograph of it um, and then a photograph seven days later and the breakout that I had in my skin, which was kind of going back to where it used to be, lumps and soreness and redness and it cleared up within a week. Um, so that's kind of where my Behaven um, body care started. It wasn't called Behaven body care. Um, and in fact, I didn't even realise back then that you needed to, um, that there was cosmetic a cosmetic uh, laws and protocol and things needed to be certified but I very quickly found out that if you have a soap or a cream or a balm and you're selling it or even giving it to somebody even gifting it to somebody or tr letting somebody sample it it needs to be certified and, and that that um, is a process that can take a little bit of time and it does cost a little bit of money so um, it started off with a lip balm a face balm and then I started making I think I started making soaps and from then into creams and then some gift boxes because people were asking me did I do gift boxes so I then kind of got into the stamping thing and, and um, Deborah at the rubber stamp company if she listens to this will laugh because I think I'm probably one of her best customers uh, with the amount of stamps that I've got for all my branding and all my products but it's a very short space of time because 18 months isn't very long but we're kind of up to, well, you know, it's it really does take up as much time as my full-time job does. Maybe more. Yeah, I believe that because you have a really, really good range of products. Mm -hmm. So you started off with a lip balm. Mm -hmm. You have a really good range of hand soaps and body mm -hmm. soaps. And there's mm -hmm. a body scrub and mm -hmm. there's, the, there's the amazing shampoo that I can't stop yeah, talking about because it's Herbie. the best shampoo ever. Yeah. And then you have skin cream as well aha uh -huh. so i've got my be beautiful skin cream which has got vitamin e uh yohoba uh, beeswax and honey um and, and i've actually bought you some so you can try um it's it's great i sell you know it's one of those products that um my i think my best seller is the shampoo bar closely followed behind by the intense skin balm and the face cream has really just I've never really pushed the face cream but I mean I'm sending it to England Scotland down south there's just so many people that by word of mouth I think really um have contacted me and 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 um buy it on a monthly basis so it's only 9.99 um and yeah I mean it's it's a great cream for during the day so my my religious skincare routine would be um makeup off with a bit of coconut oil or a, a, my a makeup removal mitt um my skin uh, my let's be clean and my let's be clear honey um soap with my konjac facial sponge and then if it, if i'm going to work it will be my be beautiful day cream or if i'm going to bed it'll be the intense skin balm and i have to tell you that um as someone who suffered with acne for all of our teenage and adult life my skin has never been clearer 
Um, I do believe that you still need to take care of your gut, but I do think that, and I and I hear it from my customers that have suffered with acne or with rosacea or with psoriasis or eczema, um, that the products really help them too. And you know, for me, it's not really about the money. Um, it's all of that lovely feedback that I get and the connection that I can make with my customers, which makes it all worthwhile. Um, if I was never to make a penny, as long as I wasn't going to lose anything, if I was never to make a penny, I would still do it. And I, you, I, I am, I am just amazed by this, because you, you start keeping bees, and then you suddenly, within eighteen months, you, you have this whole range of body care products that are absolutely like based on my own experience, they are absolutely amazing, and I'm all about using natural stuff, and I, I'm, I'm over the past few years, I've become a big believer that, you know you should be putting on your body only stuff that in theory you should be able to eat mm-hmm. you know if you can't put yeah. it in your body don't put it on your body mm-hmm. i mean why would you and your stuff is all so natural ingredients and i so how did you how did you realize that the bee products and the byproducts of your beehive can actually be beneficial for skin i think it was just through um all of the literature that i would read um on the benefits and the bounty from the hive. I mean, you've got your beeswax, you've got your propolis, or sorry, you've got your beeswax, you've got your honey, you've got propolis and you've got you've got pollen. Um, and propolis is a is like a, 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 a sticky substance that the bees use to secure the hive. And also the hive is a very clean place inside. The bees don't defecate in the hive, they'll go out to do that. Uh, the propolis is like it's antiseptic. It's been used for... I want to say millennia, but I have no idea of the length of time it's been used for. But for hundreds of years, in poultices and stuff to 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 um, help with wounds and healing of the skin. Um, and then you've got your pollen as well. So obviously the pollen is from the plants. So I mean, if you think of the the power that plants have had in medicine over the years, especially like the aromatherapy, your, your pollen's going to give you that. I don't believe in using products like pollen um, as an ingredient or even people using it as a superfood and putting it on their cereals and stuff because actually that's farmed in quite a, an unpleasant way for the bees and the bees need to keep the pollen in the hives to feed the larvae it shouldn't be taken from them um i believe um but that said there will be pollen naturally occurring in beeswax because it's part of the reason that beeswax is yellow beeswax whenever it's first uh, made by the bees um is white but they they mix it with some pollen and over time um that beeswax will 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 be um will be yellow so there'll be pollen naturally occurring in the honey in the beeswax um anyway you don't need to buy a bag of pollen and and put it on your um on your cereal or or this is really interesting because oh god i'm so glad we were doing this podcast because i actually used to um maybe about two years ago i would occasionally buy a bag of bee pollen to to top up too. some I bee vitamins well. yeah but now after this conversation i haven't done it in a long time because i just i just there's no need for it i get my minerals and from from vegetables and yeah. from other other sources i don't actually need that extra but now that you said it i'll never buy it again yeah well you know whenever i first so that that beekeeping course that i did um i came across some very influential people um and one of the conversations I had with one of the lovely ladies that took the course was um I had told her that um I was buying bee pollen because I was really into anything that was a superfood 
I would um, just buy. So I was buying some pollen and that lady said to me, oh, don't be doing that, just leave it for the bees, just leave it for the bees. And she didn't tell me why, but whenever I researched it then, I realized that, that you know, the, the, bees go into the, the bees go into the hive with pollen on their legs, known as their pollen baskets. And if you put like, if you put like certain things in the way, it's gonna rub the pollen off their legs and it's gonna fall into a little basket underneath and then the commercial pollen farmer will take that away and dry it out and put it into bags. And that, that's what happens. So um, it really is better just to leave it for the bees. But that's really, oh God, that's really, that makes me feel so bad for, for having, having actually done that in the past mm -hmm. because it's like, they're working so hard for nothing. Then, then they just come it, home, yeah. bring the mm -hmm. pollen to, to basically feed, 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 feed the future bees to, the and, larva, and then mm -hmm. they, they get in and realize, oh, where's my pollen? Where's it gone? Just where is it? Stolen it. Yeah. Gee. Yeah, I know. But you know, I suppose if you look into anything in, uh, in, in, to the circ, the sort of the the farm to fork story, um, there's probably negatives to a lot of things so but we still all have to you know people are allowed to eat pollen it's fine i just choose not to yeah no no i've I, I'll, i'll never i promise i'll never buy it again <laughs> this is this is breaking my heart i mean i'm not i'm not i'm not vegan and i i won't i won't pretend that that i'm perfect but this is just i never knew that and and I'll, honestly i'll never buy this again <laughs> but it's <laughs> like just... i used to eat uh well I used to eat a lot of Greek yogurt and then I read about, <laughs> you know, Google, as I said before, Google can be a terrible thing. Then I read about the massive acid whey lakes that are, are left behind from the uh, Greek yogurt production. And, and I make, now I love making my own yogurt and I, I love making Greek yogurt and I'm left with whey, but I'll, I'll freeze it down and I'll use the, I'll use the whey ice cubes in my own personal soap that I'll use for myself. Um, but you know, like I say, everything, things like that in nature, you know, that aren't normally occurring, happen a lot in the in the farm to fork story, um, and certainly acid way, to be completely kind of just go off paste is is another thing that I've I've realized that is is pretty bad for the environment. I I love the way you kind of live because it seems to me that you you kind of live by zero waste policy that you really use everything I truck that, no, I that can be used I try I think you know with Behaven body care um I try to use as little packaging and um as little plastic I'm I would say I'm almost at no plastic but I do have to shrink wrap my bath bombs because I attract moisture so I'll do that in biodegradable plastic but that would probably be the only plastic that I would use Um, anybody that's buying soaps off me for their own shops and stuff are now requesting that I shrink wrap my soaps and it makes me so sad but um, if somebody buys it wholesale off me and wants me to shrink wrap, shrink wrap them because of coronavirus you kind of have to and I can kind of understand why Um, but um, I try and be as, as, as low waste and even my You know, if I've got a soap that I haven't cut properly and doesn't look as pretty, I'll not sell it for the full price, but I'll I'll put it into my Lucky Dip section on the website, and I kind of really sell everything that I can possibly sell, even the stuff that doesn't look as pretty. So take me through your whole range. You just mentioned the bath bombs. Actually, I have to tell you, I was looking, I was looking through um, your products that mm -hmm. I actually haven't seen in the shop on your website, mm -hmm. and I saw these little B-shaped. Um, are they bath bombs as well for the kids? And I thought, oh my god, this makes an amazing like 
Christmas stocking. Mm. So it's kind of where we've got to, actually. It's, it's, it used to be like 100% about the lip balms and then the skin balm took a little bit of that and then the soaps took a little bit of that and the customer base is growing from, um, you know, a couple of people um, and friends and family to people that I don't I don't know, you know, but I feel like I know because I kind of connect with most people that, that buy off me. I like to think that certainly um, a lot of them feel like they're, they're part of my family, even though I've never met some of them. But... Um, so we've kind of got to where I would kind of describe us as as much about gifting and about giving somebody a lovely, uh, well thought out present as much as a bar of soap that you want for the shower. And I think that's, I mean, I'm kind of, I suppose I've realised that I'm quite a creative person. Um, and through my different sales jobs, um, I know how important gifting seasons are. And I know from those jobs how important it is to think about your gifting season months before that gifting season actually comes so that you have things to offer people and I suppose just being a sales rep and working with brands like that for many years I've been able to kind of implement that ethos that I would use in that job into Beehaven and I think that's why we've kind of grown maybe in that direction but it's a kind of a direction that I like to, it's it's it allows me to be really creative and it allows me to come up with things that work sometimes things that don't work and um i think my customer base get really engaged by what's emma gonna do for christmas what's emma gonna do for mother's day you know what what are you what are you doing for babies or are you gonna do anything for dogs you know and i i mean customers would come to me with ideas um and i would think about it and if it's a good idea yeah i'll i'll run with it i'll i'll make a sample batch see what it's like and if it's a good product my lemon myrtle soap was an idea from one of jackie's customers in nature's way um um i'm just about to launch a, a dog shampoo bar which again was a a request from one of jackie's customers um that he he loved my shampoo bar and wanted to know if i had anything for dogs so um i didn't i didn't know anything about dog shampoos but i did a bit of research and i decided that i would stick with the shampoo soap kind of um that i make but i would send it out to different doggy groomers and, and doggy people to get them to, to try it in their dogs and all the feedback has been really positive so a lot of the products are inspired by customer requests or possible daydream ideas that i've had but never really sat down and thought right where am i going with this it's never happened i've never spent a lot of time planning behave and body care out in fact i haven't spent any time planning it out i have just it's created its own dynamic and i think i've just followed it rather than it's followed me it sounds like a like a dream business you know something that's just kind of yeah took off on its own and no, now you're I never, just sort yeah. of trying it, to it, catch up it is uh, yeah that's what it feels like yeah um definitely trying to catch up definitely going my goodness how am i going to fit all this into one day um it's a dream that I never dreamt that I could have I suppose I I probably um would never have had um aspirations and I don't even really think of myself as a business owner but I suppose I am I suppose I do have a business well, <laughs> you know after 18 months of uh having a absolutely amazing range of uh yeah. Be body care products. Uh, you probably should realize that's. Who I, you do, are. I do. I do. Like whenever I look at the figures and whenever I look at the potential, I know that I do have a business. But I probably never thought really um, 
probably as a as a young mum leaving school with no GCSEs and you know quite soon after having a a, a baby I probably never never ever I would never have sat and dreamt you know in 1997 on the Woodstock Road that one day I'll have uh, be a business owner and I'll have a I'll have a skincare range and I would never have ever stopped even to have that daydream but obviously I believe that the universe takes you in the direction that you're supposed to go in and um, this has definitely been a, a pull in this direction rather than this is where I'm going I've, I've been I've been directed into this by I suppose the universe <laughs> um how how ever strange that sounds but yeah that, that's what's happened it is a, I think it is a great inspiration to to young girls out there who maybe don't believe enough in themselves yeah. or don't know where where their life is mm-hmm. gonna take them. You know what's meant to happen is meant to happen. And do you know, I always remember my mom saying to me, you know, you could be anything you want to be. I think that's true. You can be with determination, um, determination, and you know, hard work because it is hard work. You know, I I work full time. And this is a full time job, so it's a it's a it's a long week. But um, you know, anybody who's thinking that they would love to do something like that, just do it, just do it. But be prepared, just to work hard. And it's also believing in knowing what feels right. You know, if it feels right, go for it. Do it. If gut. it, yeah, 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 exactly. Follow yeah. your gut. Your gut. I mean, yeah, follow your gut, because, and and quite often if it doesn't feel right I won't do it and I've there's been things in my behaving journey that we've thought about doing and we've almost done but the gut feeling that I've expressed to dad is that maybe we shouldn't do that and I'm glad that we didn't because it really would have you know been the wrong the wrong direction for us so um yeah definitely follow your gut and look after your gut with some fermented food um is your dad actually at all involved with the with the behaving body care products so daddy is involved and he does my books for me which is great um um and he also would render down the honey and the beeswax um honestly i'm gonna be completely honest i'm a control freak And I'm I'm also I'm a really bad duo of of things. I'm a control. I'm also a real perfectionist. So I find it really difficult to hand over the um, making and the packing and stuff like that at the minute. While I can still do it myself, I would like to bring um, my daughter in to help me as well. Um, as probably as we gear up for Christmas, I'm going to need some help. Um, there's a lot of paperwork and batch paperwork and uh, things that, that, that happen behind the scenes in making a bar of soap or a lip balm. It's not just as easy as melting some products and putting them in a, a jar. There's a lot of uh, red tape and EU cosmetic laws and procedures that have to be followed. So I probably am at the stage now where it's busy enough that I could do with some help with that. Uh, I don't like to palm off all the horrible jobs on everybody else and I get to do all the nice stuff. But yeah, um Daddy does he does he is there helping with the books and he and without him I wouldn't have the, the, the nice beeswax and honey um you know ready to, to put into my ingredients or in, into my products without his help. So what goes into your products and let's talk uh, briefly about the range because so you have lip balm, you have the soaps, you have the shampoo bar, the Yeah, so I have a range. So I mean there's a a good range of um 
I call them remedy soaps. So you've got goat's milk soap, you've got Himalayan salt soap, you've got uh, baby soap, you've you've got natural um, fragrance-free soaps, um, you've got soaps that are fragranced with essential oils. But then there's also some fun stuff too. So um, I think we all get kind of like really overly paranoid about everything being natural. And yes, it's natural in the sense that it's traditionally made soap and a lot of it is natural ingredients and a lot of those products that I sell are completely would be classed as completely natural there's also some fun stuff too we're in 2020 we've had a terrible year it's nice to have something that looks like a unicorn or my franken soap that I made the other day which was a unicorn soap with a mermaid's tail sticking out of its head which is absolutely beautiful slightly weird but those there's a few there's a few products that I would have which are really popular especially with people um he would come back to me and say, I've used your scrubbies and I've got really sensitive skin, but they're really good for my skin. But there's some of the soaps that would be fragranced with fragrance oils and would be less natural than the natural soaps which are fragranced with essential oils. There, there is a difference, but I like to provide a good array of stuff for everybody. So the ultra natural person who's got, you know, um, some sensitive skin, maybe a little bit of eczema, can go on and get something. But the person who wants to make bath time fun or have a really, you know, really fun soap in the shower or whatever can also get something as well. So um, there's a range for everybody. There's there's some creams, there's some body creams, which are amazing. Um, I always, I spent a fortune on body cream um, prior to, to having, be having body care because I needed to moisturize every day. But using my soaps and my creams, if I don't moisturize, it doesn't really matter because my skin's moisturized anyway because of the natural um, super fatting of the soap and, and, and how using a bar of soap that's been handmade versus buying a bottle of shower gel actually had the impact that, that has on your skin. Do you know, this is interesting you mentioned that because I would, for years now, I wouldn't buy body lotions and body body creams or whatever. I would normally moisturize with olive oil. I mean, yeah. I buy super quality mm-hmm. cold-pressed olive oil mm-hmm. and that's what I would use on my mm-hmm. skin. But actually, now that you mention it, I don't really use it very often anymore since I started using your oh, soaps. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, and do you know what? What I noticed was, so I always, I've always really dry hands. Um... And I find it amazing. And obviously, now that I'm back out at work, I was on. I was locked down for a while from from the end of March until July. I didn't need to once use hand cream the whole time that I was locked down in the house using my own soap. I didn't need to because my hands weren't getting dry. What I've no, what I what I've found since um, doing a bit of research into different types of soap and the ingredients. Now that I'm now that I'm formulating my own recipes and I'm I've come to understand the INCI names of different, you know, natural ingredients and some unnatural ingredients and stuff. I've realized that whenever I look at the back of um, a label, I can kind of tell within the first five ingredients whether that's a product that I would use or not use. In fact, I'm not going to say the name of the product, but um, because I sell cosmetics um, and I'm in pharmacies every day, I would see things sometimes and as I, I'm at my Rimmel and Max Factor stands, I would turn other, you know, shower gels or shampoos or whatever around, have we look at the ingredients. And this was an ingredient, this was a, a product, sorry, that was marketed for children's use and really pictures, but the ingredients, it wasn't, it was a child's shower gel and the ingredients were, it was not soap. It was a culmination of um, surfacants um, and sort of synthetic 
detergents and water and you know um different bits and pieces i just buy why not just buy a bar of soap and a sponge you know why not just get a, a good bar of soap not even just from behaven but from a bar of soap that you know has been made by somebody and, it, and it's you know it, it starts off the first couple of 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 ingredients in a bar of soap will be sodium something or other and a good bar of soap will be sodium um, and whatever the oil that the process has turned into a salt has been derived from so um that's what you should look for whenever you're looking for something to wash your children and yourself in don't pick up um a 99p bottle of shower gel because you're only going to spend £3.50 in a bottle of moisturiser because that shower gel is going to dry your skin out and you're going to have to buy a moisturiser and quite often it's the same company you know you'll it's shower gels and moisturisers it's like the products oh, like, that is so clever <laughs> yeah it is it is and then quite that's often so the moisturisers um are you know a paraffinium liquidium that's gonna that's paraffin that's going to dry your skin out. So you're going to need to use more moisturiser. And you're going to need to use it every day. Um, but these companies can afford to um, be able to make claims that it does X, Y and Z. Because they've you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds to put behind their research. Um, and they can say... I, I mean, I have stuff there that I know has worked for my customers who have got psoriasis and eczema. But I would never say that's for psoriasis and eczema. Because I'm not allowed to. Um, I can't make that claim. I'm not going to make that claim, but I will say, look, I've got customers who have used X, Y, and Z, and it's helped them. Um, if I had, you know, a spare, you know, hundred grand, maybe I could do the same thing and and say that my products are, you know, will do X, Y, and Z. But um, yeah, it's it's whenever you turn the ingredients around and 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 read things, it can be interesting. Whenever you know what you're looking for, what you can find, and you know what it is as well, you know. If you buy a bar of soap, so my soap is is collared. It's 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 in a card collar, which has been hand cut by me from an A4 sheet of card and hand stamped. If you buy that soap, you take the card collar off and you put that in your bin, and that soap is going to sit in your shower, or on your sink, or in a soap dish, or whatever for the next. I mean, I overuse my soap because there's so much of it there, but people, you know, it can last weeks upon weeks. But there's no waste. So after that soap's gone, it's gone. It's gone back to the earth, I suppose, and, and the card collar, it, it's not got any kind of impact on the ecosystem. It's just gonna, you know, wilt away um, naturally and it pro- probably can go in your in your blue bin, I would imagine. It probably could even go in your brown bin. I don't want to say that, but can you put paper in your brown bin? I, don't um, you, I, I mean, in theory, in theory you can and I, I know that I've actually one thing I've learned here when I when I um when I started uh, volunteering at Azora and actually permaculture in the cardboard is actually really handy for starting um raised beds oh, okay. because you put you know you know you put cardboard at at the bottom of your raised beds and then and that'll rot down mm-hmm. eventually into your compost but also it'll stop weeds coming up so that's sort of your your floor so to speak of your raised vegetable bed and then you you know top it up with compost and you're mulch it with seaweed or whatever else you're using but you have essentially cardboard yeah. at the bottom of it and it'll rot down and if it's um if you don't have enough layers on top of it actually vegetables some vegetables have fruits really forceful that they can if it doesn't rot down in time for the roots to properly develop they just 
push through the cardboard yeah. you know and yeah. then they will they will go deeper down so actually you can like as long as there's no tape i get a lot of things delivered to the house my partner would um certainly agree with the fact that i've kind of taken over the garage on a few rooms for <laughs> behaven <laughs> but um what really annoys me is whenever I buy a box of whatever it is, oils or, or ingredients or whatever it is, um, and it comes in a, in a nice cardboard box, which is recyclable. It's kind of going back to your podcast that I listened to last week about the girls that are doing the terra cycle, which is really interesting. Um, but it's covered in this brown plastic tape. So I've made the decision, it's a little bit more expensive, is to, I, I use paper tape which I think is really important. Um, I kind of try and close the eco circle. I mean, there's obviously going to be things that are going to be, you know, um, that I have to label my products and there's plastic in the label. We have to now use on, on creams and I'm just investing this at the minute. In the bottom of a, of a tub of cream, it has to have a waterproof label. Um, and that needs to be laser print, printed on. So I, uh, I'm just in the process of getting some waterproof labels and my laser printer. Um, I'm not sure how eco-friendly that is, but that is legislation that we have to follow. Um, but I like to kind of close the lip. So, I mean, I could go to local packaging firms and get nice soap boxes all printed up with Behaven and colors and, you know, have my own brand on it and stuff like that. But um, there's obviously a minimum quantity on on you know what sort of commercially um viable for you to do and that wouldn't really bother me what does bother me is all of those expensive inks that go into that packaging um i try and avoid so as long as i well i would like to say that if i ever have to go down the um route of doing that i probably wouldn't want to do behaven anymore i i kind of want to stay with craft paper hand stamped um, uh, ecologically friendly products that people can buy and not have to worry about how they're going to what what week on TerraCycle that the products are going to be able to be um, recycled. I don't want any of my customers to really have to think about that. I really, I really liked it, and I, that's one of the things I really appreciate on your products in particular i love the fact that there's just so minimal packaging like you buy a soap and there's literally like a small strip of cardboard to tell you what the ingredients are and your branding and your contact details and that's 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 all you need and then you just take it out you recycle your cardboard strip and then you sit it set it on your hand soap dish and i'm one of the fears i have about what we're facing at the minute with and i hate i hate to talk about coronavirus because that's all we ever seem to really talk about but um one of the fears that i have is that people's fear of microbes and bacteria is going to take away from i think take away from my uh, you know potentially um, me having to plastic wrap my soap which I really don't want to but do but that's rubbish look it's it's a soap it's naturally what the ingredients you put in it's naturally antibacterial so yeah. why would you want to wrap well, it well and and the balms are quite interestingly interestingly so I've had this conversation a few times so my lip balm that I bought that I had my first product um I've noticed that people have started to switch to my moisture stick and asking people why or people saying why they've done that is because they don't want to touch anything more than once because they're scared of transmitting um, bacteria. But um, I know from my cosmetic certification on my soaps and my balms is that they don't support microbial growth. So unless, you know, as long as it's your lip balm, 
and you're not using somebody else's lip balm then it's 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 fine it's fine to use and um the soap itself won't support microbial growth either so um it's important to i think we need to just be in touch with what's what's going to happen what what reality is in terms of bacteria and microbes um and not be too um i see a lot of people now and i, I hate the thought of it um sterilizing everything in their home that, 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 that's kind of sterilizing the good bacteria too what's going to happen to our guts in a few years time whenever all of that good bacteria has been wiped and washed away because we're so scared of coronavirus rightly so you know we should be cautious but it's important not to people who sterilize their washing you know putting you know antibacterial stuff in with their washing powder to sterilize clothes you know That's we need to just yeah or you know sterilizing their furniture and stuff like that i, I kind of get it we're all so frightened but i think you know we need to kind of be in touch with what we need for for us to be sustainable human beings which is good bacteria as well as bad anyway so it's veering off but yeah eco-friendly packaging is definitely what we're always going to be about in behaving i don't want to ever steer away from that and before we steer away from your beautiful products um, let's just quickly touch on your ingredients because you did mention that some of the products are completely natural some of them are there are some some other they are yeah. fragrance um so what are the main ingredients that you mentioned essential oils and obviously use your propolis your your bivax your um your honey yeah a lot of my products will have coconut and castor oil in it um um there'll be a lot of my products will have my favorite essential oil which is lemon myrtle which is widely known to be more antibacterial than tea tree oil there'll be some tea tree oil in the products as well um and it smells absolutely gorgeous i have to say i've been using lemon myrtle in my oil burner Mm -hmm. which i have in the bathroom Mm -hmm. And it smells. Oh, it's amazing! It's like lemon sherbet. Yes, it's like lemon sherbet. I I just love lemon myrtle. So, um, yeah, I try and get as much use of the oils um that I buy in as possible because I like to buy them in as big as quantities as possible so that I get the best price. So, um, there'll always be you know beeswax and honey and and different byproducts from the hives, but generally coconut castor oil. Um, my skin cream and my body cream and hand cream has extra virgin olive oil in it so yeah it's it's just you know it's 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 kind of kind of always go to what's best for the skin what do you want what i want that cream or that balm or that soap to achieve for that person you know goat's milk is a wonderful um product to help with you know skin irritation or sensitive skin or eczema and psoriasis so you know there'll be soaps that will have specific ingredients in it for um specific things that i want to to help um that person with the himalayan salt soap will be very good for anybody who's recently had you know surgery i had a surgery last year and that's why i made the himalayan salt soap it was for myself to try and help my skin heal after that so um just touching on the the fragrance oils for one second so i don't want people to think that my there's products of my um portfolio that are like unnatural uh fragrance oils it's a very small amount um and um you know it's i would say it's it's completely skin safe and it's there um on the website and it'll be there'll be you know serious remedy soaps for the skin and there'll be like scrubby soaps with fragrance oil so it will say and people can make their choices based on on what they want but certainly some of the my best-selling soaps do have fragrance oils in them and then your bath bombs because you have i i i was still 
quite amazed by the beautiful like b-shaped bath bombs because they're so gorgeous bath bombs are a nightmare you know they are you know whenever you look at the ingredients of a bath bomb for some for someone that makes soaps and creams it's, there's there's quite a few stages there's quite a few things to take into consideration there's there's lots of different you know it's it's not an easy process whenever you look at the process of a bath bomb basically it's it's a couple of ingredients in a binder and some fill you know some sort of clays to fill and bicarbonate of soda and citric acid will be your your main ingredients um in in the formulation but they are a nightmare honestly it's it's i whenever i started making bath bombs i was like happy day something that you can actually go downstairs and you can make and achieve in a you know half hour 45 minutes and and it's done kind of thing oh my goodness that i mean I th- i'm sure i've cried tears over bath bombs because they are just little rascals so um i've come up with a formulation now that i'm very happy with um bath bombs um the bath bombs that i make um will also have a a, a sort of a a good element for your skin so i love one of my ingredients that i love and will be in quite a few of my products will be avocado oil it's so good for your skin it's really high in the oleic acid so it really it's good for um healing the skin and it just makes your skin feel really nice it's in my intense skin balm and it's in my my baby my baby balm as well um in my bath bombs there's going to be um, uh, avocado oil and um and castor oil so whenever you get into the bath you'll have the sort of theatrical fizz and colors um and the nice fragrance some of them will be essential oil fragrance some of them will be from fragrance oils um, and that will be denoted on the website as well but whenever you get out of the bath you shouldn't need to feel like you need to then dry off and put moisturizer on you shouldn't feel like that because it's avocado oil it's emulsified in the water it's not a slick on the top but you know it should make your skin feel feel really good i was I was never a big bath bomb user before I started to make them and actually I do love a good bath bomb. I'm actually developing a cloud bath bomb with um rainbow a rainbow tail. Um so I haven't yeah, I haven't quite perfected it yet. But this bath bomb will be white cloud, you'll put it into the water, it'll start to fizz and it will have a rainbow tail coming out its back. And it will move around the water, so that's that's what I'm trying to achieve at the minute. But that You're takes nuts, but yeah. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> but that takes a little bit of experimentation and time, so I'm I'm kind of working on that at the moment. Do you know back to the avocado oil? I I have to confess, I I'm I I bought a bottle that I keep usually at work for over my salads and stuff. But I did discover it's beautiful, um, skin healing properties by a total accident. I. Sometimes I would go for a sea swim before I go to work. And one time I forgot, I usually, after I get out of water, I would put aloe vera gel on my face and on my skin just to sort of, because the seawater really dries your skin. It's very healing, but it, it really dries your skin at the same time. And I forgot my aloe vera gel at home. So I got to work and I was like, okay, what can I use? I had that avocado oil in the cupboard. So I just put a wee bit on my fingers and I just moisturized my face with avocado oil. And then in the evening when I was leaving work, I just realized my skin felt still so beautifully moisturized. And I got home, I look in the mirror and my skin just looked so healthy yes and so bright yeah 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 and it's still it was like some Uh 12 hours later you know and my skin was still glowing and my partner knows this as well what what did you do with your skin 
I was like, oh my God, I put avocado oil on. Yeah, and you know, before Beehaven Body Care, while I was a beekeeper, before I even even made a balm or ever, ever, ever thought about doing that, I used to take my makeup off at night time with some coconut oil and a flannel with warm water. Still, still do do that sometimes, um, or use my makeup myth. But um, what I used to do was, instead of putting a nighttime cream on, I used to put uh, just raw avocado oil in my face. Exactly the same thing as you've done. And I find that's one of the reasons why my skin balm automatically had avocado oil in it as one of the main ingredients next to honey um it's because i had been putting it raw on my face for a little bit of time prior to uh behaving body care and i had noticed the same things and and um looking into it it's such a a key ingredient in you know the regeneration of of your skin and, and it really does help with um smoothing your skin and repairing the skin it's a, it's a wonderful ingredient it's really funny that you said that you uh, take your makeup off with with coconut oil and warm water i do the same thing but i do it with olive oil and it's i just stopped buying all these makeup removing synthetic absolutely nonsense years ago because it's just so not good for you it's no it's not and and um i used to spend a fortune on eye makeup remover and and actually i've got a i've now got as part of i've got a cleansing bundle online which has got my my Conjac sponge, my face soap, my it's got my moisturizing cream, and it's got my skin balm, but it's also got a makeup uh, makeup remover mitt, and you don't even need to have oil on. You just use warm water, and the fiber of the makeup remover takes your makeup off. So I've had lots of lovely reviews. So there's not there's no products people need to. Also, there's no plastic in the product that they, the plastic that in the product that they were buying before using something that's natural, and also the fact that there's no chemicals going on people's skin so whether it's oil or whether it's a makeup remover mitt you know you don't need to go in you don't need to buy that from, you don't even need to think about going into a pharmacy or into tesco's to buy something like that it's already in your cupboards it's already there all you need is a face cloth and a bit of oil or you know a microfiber cloth or a makeup remover mitt you don't need to spend money on any of those products not mentioning what it does to i mean where does it go you know there's always residue of it left somewhere where does it go i mean it's synthetic it's surely it's not particularly and all the packaging and the process how these synthetic things are made i mean it's not great for the environment wipes listen i have to say prior to uh all of this covid i was a massive love island follower i love love island and but i used to be aghast at watching it because um the amount of uh, makeup wipes that were shown on that program and makeup wipes are not good for your skin i'm gonna just say that they're not they're even more so they're not good for the environment they're really not we don't need to use makeup wipes a face cloth is is fine it's just all this culture of um you know it being handy being you know convenient it's the convenience of everything we just we really stop thinking about what's good for us what's good for the nature and just think about yeah. con- convenience i think that kind of happened in the 80s and i remember kind of the you know the start of microwave meals and everything coming pre pre-packaged in a freezer kind of product and everything was in the microwave and everything was you know full of sugar and everything was massive I mean do you remember when you were in the 90s and you were going to McDonald's and the meals that you bought at McDonald's were huge you know and you could choose even to supersize them at that point as well and luckily I think we've we've come so far since then um and we I think we got to a really good place in terms of our ecological awareness um unfortunately um 
coronavirus has seen us sort of go back into the single-use plastic market quite heavily again. So hopefully we can start to um, think about that again whenever we're through this uh, nightmare because, you know, single-use gloves and, and masks and stuff can't be avoided. But um, we had come so far, I think, as, as, a, as a community of, of humans on the earth. And hopefully we can get back to that. I love the way we've gone a uh, whole circle from the environment and the base and the ecosystem back to the environment. But it's all interconnected. It's it is. all interconnected. It absolutely is. And it's it's important that um not every choice that we can make every day. And look, I'm I'm not I mean there there's things that I use on a daily basis. I'm sure I'm you know, in in work and, and, and you know, I drive a car and you know It is hybrid, but I'm probably driving it too fast, so the hybrid doesn't matter. Um, you know, um, there's there's nobody. Well, I'm certainly not a hundred percent perfect, but I think if we can just make a choice on a daily basis as to uh, what we're going to do that particular day, what product we're going to try and um, make sure is more um, eco-friendly, or not even just about the environment, but but about our health as well. So what can we do for our skin? What can we do for our health? What can we do for our guts? And quite often, I think the journey should start. People would contact me sometimes and say, I've got acne. What would you suggest? And I'll always suggest a probiotic. I'll always I'll suggest products and behaving that's going to help. And this is what you should use. Use a skin balm, soap, konjac sponge, all of those things. But have you thought about a probiotic? I will, will, will always be on the reply because we should be thinking about our guts as much as we think about um the environment and and everything else as well and talking about that um i think gut and probiotics and fermented foods especially are a big part of your lifestyle and your diet yes and you brought me a ginger bug i did i bought you a ginger bug uh, i bought you some behaven products as well but i bought you a ginger bug so i am a kombucha maker yogurt maker um and i have made kefir and stuff in the past but i had to kind of choose choose my battle so I do still make kombucha and I do make yogurt whenever I have the time but I came across gingerbread last year so I was in Rome and we were drinking Moscow meals <laughs> and I uh, started researching on Google again uh, about uh, ginger beer and I realized that ginger beer can actually be made a uh, probiotic um, it can be a good um, gut cure as well as um, a nice mixer Um, in a cocktail um, so I started to make my own ginger beer but part of the process and the starter the starting process of, of, of homemade uh, probiotic uh, ginger beer will be the ginger bug um, and ginger bugs are really easy to keep and they're easy to, to keep alive and they're um, it's really it's a really really good cleanse so what I do every week is I siphon off three quarters of my ginger bug which will be made up of sediment and juice I siphon off three quarters of that juice and I take a shot of that every night or every morning or whatever and um, that'll last me for a week and in that seven day period my new juice will be fermenting in with my sediment so what I've brought for you today which does not look very appealing but is a it looks a bit like like a strange uh, latte in a uh, in a plastic bag well I'm that's not gonna, the way i choose okay, to look at okay it. well i'm not gonna say that <laughs> i'm not gonna say what i think it looks like but anyway so what you need to do is this is a sediment so this is um fermented ginger powder um and 
um, I fermented this last year. So this, this scar has been going for 12 months, almost exactly. Um, so you put that in a jar and you fill her up, I've, I've written on it, two stable tablespoons of uh, sugar which has been dissolved in warm water and cooled down right so you stir around you've got your kind of sugar um, dissolved in water a teaspoon of ginger powder and then a couple of cups of water so is it two tablespoons of sugar including the water or no put two tablespoons of sugar into a little pot put some boiling water in it stir it around just some like i it's it's really there's not ex no exact science but to the amount of water but yeah. just sort of just dilute it, it. yeah, yeah okay. dilute it because you need to feed her with the water or with the sugar and the ginger so you put that into this sediment you fill it up with water and cover it over with a little bit of kitchen roll and an elastic band um but you want the air to get in so don't don't close off the air supply can it be see-through glass jar yes yeah, okay. yeah yeah kellner jar is perfect something like that and then um in the winter time i actually put her on a warm mat because you kind of want her to be uh, you can put her in a warm in a warm spot my kitchen isn't warm in the winter time so i put her on a little like sort of brewing heat mat but you can just set her in your um like your uh airing cupboard or something some kind of warm in the oven? yeah well <laughs> Yeah, somewhere that is kind of warm, um, and she will ferment over um, five to seven days, and then just take off the juice again, leave a little bit of juice and the sediment. The sediment will get more and more and more because you keep on adding. Whenever you add ginger powder, you're adding more um, sediment, so the sediment will grow um, in volume. But then you can just give that to people, so you can spread the ginger bug joy. So you're taking just the liquid, just the juice out of it to take. I don't and think, then yeah, the sediment keeps at the bottom. Okay. Mm -hmm. sediment just stays at the bottom so if you just i've got it in like a big long it's almost like a pasta jar i use um uh you can use a jar with a tap as well if you wanted some of my kilner jars have taps but the sediment will get high and the tap won't work at, at a certain time you're actually better off i use it as i say a long pasta jar and i just tip her over and just pour the juice out the juice will be a a cloud it look like cloudy lemonade but the strength of that ginger is beautiful and if you take that and i take a little small glass or you can take a shot of it but it's just a wonderful gut cleanse anyway because of ginger's you know cleansing do you qualities. use only powder or do you ever use fresh i ginger? didn't get a great result with fresh ginger honestly so powder yeah so i tried to start the bug with fresh ginger initially last year and it didn't really work for me um and i use ginger powder so i find ginger powder works best um other people who make ginger bug may do it a different way that's really interesting no i have to because when i did um when i did a podcast no that would be probably about two years ago now with dervla from the cultures club she was talking about ginger bug but i know that she makes hers with with, with fresh ginger yeah. i can't remember she's gonna kill me now if she hears this i can't remember how she makes it but i have her book so i can look it up but i never dervla from the culture club is far more she gave me a john <laughs> scooby many years ago um before i'm sure it must be seven or so years ago because it was before i actually had these and I, I i always thought that i would be great to use my own honey to feed the john but uh, in the end i wouldn't have never had enough honey to do everything like, that i wanted to do with it anyway but uh, yes darvla would be far more skilled than i would be um but i created this with powder and i just continue to use it with powder but um it is a, it's a great um addition to your um your sort of gut health what sugar do you what kind of sugar do you use for it 
so this is really bad but i use granulated sugar and i use granulated sugar and ginger powder how terrible is that um but do you know what it's really funny because i um whenever i started with this fermenting journey and after i spoke to derval a few times so years ago i have um i have joined a facebook group uh uk fermenting friends and there's it's it's a lot of like anything you need they, they tell you these guys are the, the lady who started is based in mainland england and she's um, they're all like super knowledgeable. There are some people who've been fermenting for 30, 40 years, you know. And um, from what I learned there is whenever I was making water kefir, that actually run-of-the-mill, really bad white granulated sugar is actually way better for the it water is. kefir than any other your healthy, you know, coconut totally. or whatnot sugar. Yeah, I find that too. But you have to be careful because there is some sugar out there that's sold in... Um, we find this um, out whenever we were making sugar feed for the bees. Um, so if you go into any of the like the the cheap shops, like the pine shops and stuff like that, bargain shops, if there's sugar that's really cheap, just make sure it's proper sugar and not granulated high fructose corn syrup, because that's about as well. And I wouldn't go down that route. I would certainly use, you know, your your cane sugar granulated or whatever but I certainly wouldn't use high fructose corn syrup oh yeah no I always I always bought even whenever I was making my my coconut water kefir and and other water kefir I would always use organic you know cane sugar bought I only buy stuff in in health food stores and these days it's very rare unless there's a good organic fair trade section in a supermarket you know I wouldn't even go to to buy any food from from any all these cheap but it's a good point to make if anybody's listening who wants to start a ginger bug or any fermenting stuff yes run-of-the-mill like white granulated sugar but make sure ideally organic fair trade and make sure it's it's actually cane sugar it's yeah because the I mean, America has a huge problem with this corn syrup shenanigans. And, and it's so huge. addictive. You know, I have got the biggest sweet tooth. And um, things that I have to stay away from will be things that are um, high fructose corn syrup related. Uh, marshmallows. I mean, if I even say a marshmallow, my I'm sure my pupils dilate. <laughs> 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 Giant strawberries. I mean, oh my goodness, it's like a drug. It's like a drug to me. So I um... sure wasn't there a research done years ago where they where they proved that actually sugar addiction is as bad as cocaine addiction. There, there's a really good book. It's called well, you know, it's a little bit more, but I suppose um, it's called Sugar Suicide, and it's about how uh, sugar is 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 killing the generation, and how it um, kind of what and, and why it. And I'm not going to get into the politics of it, um, but it's a really good book about why it all happened and when it all happened and how it was um funded by the companies and the research that went that the research of um uh, uh, a fat free the fat free um in the 80s and the 90s you know everything if you're on a diet you just, it has to be fat free but fat free was um sugar high so um yeah, it's a very good book, Sugar Suicide. There's there's loads of those sort of um, whenever there's been this for, for the past couple of years, you you know the, the big hype about ketogenic diet, but there there's actually a real research behind it, and a lot of the the science based ketogenic books, um, Keto Bible, one of them, I actually have it at home. Uh, they talk a, a lot about the, the the research about where the, whenever the fat free sort of um, 
came about um, who actually funded all this research and how corrupt these researchers yeah, it's, it's and corrupt. these scientists mm-hmm. were that came out with claims that actually fat is bad for you, carbs and sugar are good for you, sugars are okay, fat is the culprit. Um, yeah, it's really, I mean, it's 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 in anything, you know, if, um, if you're going and look at... Um, any from any industry, any kind of research topic, you really need to be careful about who the research is funded by. You know, the generation that 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 I grew up in is that generation, um, and um, y- you look at the damage that has been done through sugar. Now, I'm not perfect, as I've said. You know, I I will eat sugar. Um, I try not to eat too much of it. Um, but my I am I am that person. I'm that person as a child that. Um, you know, um, I wasn't allowed sugar whenever I was younger. My mum and dad, um, I wasn't only allowed to have sweets at the weekend, um, and not too many of them. But because I loved sweets and, and and loved sugar, then whenever I became in control of my own diet into my teens and into high school, and I had money for the tuck shop and stuff, I mean, I would be quite happy just to dine on treats and tempe mixes all day long. I mean, and I still would be. I mean, I would be that. You know, that's. I, I, I don't go to the cinema because I cannot walk past the pick and mix. <laughs> this is this this is the issue that I have. So Mark will be like, you know, do you want to go to the cinema? And I won't even think about the film. I'll go, how am I walking past that pick and mix? I don't think I can. Let's not go. <laughs> because I know once I, once I eat that, you know, it'll all be gone by the time the film starts. I'll probably spend like, four quid in a pick and mix and it'll all be finished by the time the trailers are over and I'll hate myself I'll hate myself and I won't feel good about myself and I know that it's so damaging even just to the even the cells in your skin you know it's aging it's not good for your organs you know there's just so many things that are wrong with it the amount of colors that are in it doesn't make you feel good make you feel sick and you know so. But look at even the generation of our parents. I mean, certainly I grew up in the Czech Republic and certainly the the generation of, of my parents and, and um, even my generation, the amount of gut issues, cancers, heart diseases. Like, where does it all come from? It's, it comes from the, the way we eat, the way we live, our environment. Our, and like sugar is a massive culprit because it's in bloody everything. Well, sugar was the reason that I had acne. And I know that now. Um, um, my gut was craving the sugar because there was a yeast overload in my gut because of the sugar that I was eating um, and um, that was making me crave more sugar and the reason that I had lumps and bumps and spots on my face was um, it was the candida that, that was you know sort of manifesting it on my skin so I knew once I cleared my gut and looked after my skincare um, and that that was um one of the reasons that um that's gone and whenever I realized that and really got into fermented foods um and we say follow your gut but but your your gut is it's the heartbeat of your body okay you've got a heart but it really is you know you look after your gut and you look at you're looking after um all of your body at the same time and your mind because it's all connected I love the fact we got from beast to gut. <laughs> I've been to job interviews before. I'm um, talked about gut bacteria. <laughs> <laughs> I talk to everybody about gut bacteria. Yeah, I'm not. I'm that person. Yeah. <laughs> this is. Um, this is. Listen, we've been talking for I know. about two hours. I don't want to keep you any longer, but 
This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your beautiful products and for the ginger bag. I can't wait to get started. Did you say I have to call it Emma? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, right. you have to call Emma. Um, that, that's my, that's the only Emma caveat. Tonight. It sounds yeah. a bit dodgy, but. <laughs> and if anybody wants to buy any Beehaven, um, you can go onto my website, which is www.behavenbodycare.co.uk. That's an important actually. Where can they? Are you on social media? Where can people find yeah, you? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram. I'm Miss Behaven One Two Three. Um, I am Facebook, and it's Beha- the Behaven Beekeepers and Behaven Body Care. Or you can just do at Behaven Body Care on Facebook. I'm very active on Facebook. That's where my I kind of call it my family. It's my 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 Behaven community almost. So do do pop on there if you're on Facebook because I love to um, connect with everybody. Um. You can get me on my website, which is, as I said, behavenbodycare.co.uk or thebehavenbeekeepers.co.uk. Um, if you're interested in wholesale, if, uh, buying some wholesale Behaven, we have um, behavenbodycare-wholesale.co.uk. <laughs> and if you're looking to buy some um, products locally, your best bet will probably be Nature's Way in uh, Ballyhackamore and some of... Um, my soaps are available in Urban Beauty and Tanning on uh, the Glen Road and Braniel as well. Um, do you still have actually space for fulfilling any wholesale demands? Because I, I know yeah. you're extremely it's, busy. Yeah. Uh, one-to-one shop, wholesale deliveries, um, you know, where I'm rocking up and selling bits and pieces and, and calling every week and taking small orders. No, I can't do that. Not while I'm still working full-time anymore, unfortunately. Um, I, I hate saying that, but I, I just can't. So my wholesale website is, it's got all my best sellers on in full batches, which is perfect for um, anybody who wants to start up um, uh, some Behaven. Um, and obviously soap has a curing time so that's fi- that's factored into the dispatch time so um if you pop on to the wholesale website behavenbodycare-wholesale say it again uk um it'll give you all the the information on there um but it's it's only been launched a couple of weeks and it's been quite it's been quite popular so um that is kind of the way that it's going to go where wholesale is concerned i think now as I said, it's only been launched a couple of weeks. So there's some products that I'm going to add to it um, over the next couple of weeks as well. So um, just pop on. And if anybody has any wholesale queries, they can email me. My email address is on all the websites and they can even give me a call as well. And one last thing before I let you go. Um, back to the beekeeping. Do you have any tips or advice for people who are feeling like they're just gonna go and they're gonna go on a course and they're gonna start keeping bees any any advice and tips and tricks um yeah do you know uh, I think do it would be my first thing if you really want to do something just do it um um and I would always say read as much as you can um and if you if you do get bees and you're kind of struggling or you I think any beekeeper that I talk to always kind of says you never really fully think that you're in control of it all and you're not you're never going to be the bees knows best so that would be kind of like the the best bit of advice to anybody who's beekeeping and feeling like a little bit kind of like they don't know what they're doing or anybody that's going into beekeeping the bees are in control they know what they're doing 
just try and let them do their thing and don't infiltrate them too much and um you'll have a nice little uh relationship with them i think that's perfect thank you very much Emma. Oh, no, it's you. been an absolute pleasure <laughs> sorry for keeping you so long i know i'm a bit of a talk i love chatting to you i could sit here quite happily for another two hours get a bottle of wine yeah <laughs> i don't drink but i'm pretty sure oh, okay. i can find yeah <laughs> i don't know what wine keeps on the farm <laughs> Thank well, you. listen, thank you so no, much. Um, have um, a lovely weekend and um, hopefully maybe we can get to do this. We'll get to do this again sometime. Yeah, we could do an update. Yeah. We could do, yeah, we could do a making soup with Emma. <laughs> oh my God, I would love that. Are you going to be running any workshops? Don't know. I don't know. There's an um, idea for the future. I know, I have been asked, but um, mm, don't know. <laughs> we'll I'm not see. sure I'd ever want to put myself on the pedestal as... I can teach you. I probably would prefer just to be like, you know, let me learn from you. (laughs) You're way too humble. But yeah, have a lovely weekend and hopefully we'll chat soon sometime. Yeah. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. I think this is officially the longest episode um, I've recorded so far. And it was a pretty enjoyable one. And I'm really hoping that I'll get to do this with Emma again. Um, Emma promised that maybe next year when all this pandemic craziness is over um, she would take me to one of their beehives and um, we could do an episode from the site looking into what's actually happening in the beehive which um, I really hope that that will happen because it's uh, something that really interests me but if any of you wanted to find out more about beekeeping in general or if you want to start keeping bees yourselves Uh, the organization emma mentioned is um the ulster beekeeping association and it's an affiliation of the 12 local area associations for beekeepers and the website is ubka.org and you'll find all the information you need there beginners courses information can be found on your appropriate local associations website Um, And from what I can see right now, the 2021 courses don't seem to have been announced as yet, but um, I admit I haven't looked at all of the websites. Mind you, I'm guessing that uh, with the current pandemic situation, it's a bit difficult to plan ahead, really. Um, If you would like to check out uh, the Beehaven Beekeepers, you can find them on social media or their website, thebeehavenbeekeepers.co.uk. Or if you'd like to try some of Emma's lovely products, you can order online on their website and just head over to the Beehaven Body Care Store, which is the first tab on the top of the page. You can choose from a range of hand and body soaps, creams, balms for adults and babies, facial care and shampoo bar, which by the way is my absolute favorite shampoo ever. Um, I can highly recommend it, just beware, it will not suit all hair types. And I'm sorry I didn't catch my conversation with Emma on the audio recorder because we actually did have a good chat about her shampoo bar before I hit record. Um, But the bar will probably suit someone with drier hair, dry scalp or hair damaged by years of dyeing and so on. Um, It really suits my hair somehow and I absolutely love it. But you will also find some handmade Um, gift ideas including bath bombs um, which I'm yet to try. With the shampoo bar I have to say I was not able to get it for about two months and I was using a different one and now I literally I bought it a couple of days ago. My hair is just the difference is unreal honestly. 
if you do have hair on the drier side or if you do a lot of sea swimming I think this bar uh, might be for you um, Emma did, does not pay me to advertise her products I genuinely love them and uh, I'm really happy because my hair now smells uh, absolutely gorgeous of honey and lemon um, until I get into the sea again and then it will smell of seaweed and sea salt uh, but anyway um Another thing I'd like to mention is that um, Emma gave me a sample of her lovely Be Beautiful uh, facial cream um, and it is with, it's made with uh, jojoba oil, vitamin E um, and witch hazel and any female listener will probably relate to this. Um, this is how good the product is. Um, coming to my monthly period, um, usually about two to three days before my skin uh, tends to break out and um, tends to be on the drier side and I get creases in my on my forehead and my skin just doesn't look nice. I've been using Emma's cream for now, we recorded this episode about two weeks ago, three weeks ago now, so I've been using it ever since and I use it every morning and that cream really minimized that impact of my monthly cycle on my skin. It doesn't vanish completely, it might over time, I don't know, but uh, it really minimizes the impact and my skin constantly glows. Um, it's just absolutely beautiful. And again, it it might not be something that will suit every skin type. We, we all have different skin types and um, it, it's a sort of um, trial and error type of thing, but it really suits mine um, and I can't praise it enough. I um, It seems that anything that Emma does... Um, she just pours her heart, love, care and a lot of research um, and time and effort into her products and um, I have to say I really, really, really like them and um, yeah, so if, if you, if you want to try something local, something made with real care, um, yeah, um, go on and, and, and have a try. I'm a... Um, it's uh, I know it's only September but uh, you know it, it, it's soon Christmas will be um, soon before we know it and uh, for the past three or four years I've been really trying to support local businesses uh, when it comes to shopping um, Christmas presents and um, I, I think that uh, small businesses like Emma's who make good quality um, eco-friendly products uh, made with you know as much local ingredients as possible I think these are the businesses that we should support particularly now but yeah I leave that one with you another thing I wanted to um, remind you um, Emma mentioned that if you are a shopkeeper and would like to offer Behaven Body Care products to your customers uh, you can head over to behavenbodycare-wholesale.co.uk and you can shop there um, in uh, big batches. And if you do want to check out the products in person and sniff before you buy, um, and don't laugh because they smell really gorgeous. And sometimes if you can't make a decision which one you want to buy, you just, you know, you go by smell. You will find almost the full range um, at Nature's Way store on the Upper Newton Arts Road in Belfast. Okay, that's the end of advertising, I promise. Um, as for raw honey benefits, so since my conversation with Emma, I have started looking into raw honey benefits. And um, I mean, I've always known about the antibacterial and, you know, take your honey, um, 
you know, it's it's actually good for open wounds and for healing and it's great for, you know, colds and sniffs. But I actually have stumbled upon a study done on honey benefits in fight against fungi, particularly various strains of candida. And that sort of goes against of what I have believed Um I have been avoiding honey like a plague because of my issues uh, with candida over the years. Uh, But you can find an abstract from this study on Oxford Academic website, the Medical Mycology page. And the website is academic.oup.com. The article name is Honey has an antifungal effect against candida species. Um, it may be um, of a particular interest to anyone who has reoccurring fungal, um, fungal infections. And as I mentioned, I had my fair share of candina problems over the years. And I have been avoiding honey for well over 15 years. Um, but reading information like this, um, I'm kind of rethinking my whole approach to it. And I am quite tempted to reintroduce raw honey as a medica- as sort of, you know, medication supplement into my diet again in small quantities. But um, before I do, um, hopefully there is more um, information of similar kind out there available. And um, so, yeah, I'll keep looking into this because it's definitely very interesting. Um, regarding other fermented foods, Emma has kindly donated a ginger bug, as you heard. Um, so she's donated me a starter, encouraging me uh, getting stuck into fermenting again. And so I've now been brewing gingerbuck like mad and um, feeding Emma every week, like good fermentalist. Emma's version of gingerbuck is really easy to make. Um, all you need is a little bit of a gingerbug starter that you absolutely have to name after its donor. Now that's not ne- that's not negotiable. Uh, you do have to do that. That's that's a rule. Um, you'll need some good quality sugar, preferably organic. Um, organic ginger powder. I mean, it doesn't. The ginger powder does not have to be organic, but you know, if you're gonna go healthy, go all the way. Um, and then you'll need a spring or at least filtered water. And every week you feed your bug with two tablespoons of sugar dissolved in a little boiled up water one teaspoon ginger powder and three cups of water and every week before you feed it you just pour out the surplus ginger bug lemonade and emma said about two thirds of it leaving the sediment and one third of the lemonade at the bottom of the jar and when your sediment builds up you can take some away and donate it to someone else who will then in turn have to name the bug after you um, so yeah, I can't wait to start donating little Susanna bugs around. Um, it really sounds just weird. Actually, it sounds really wrong. But um, yeah, I'm sure Emma will have a good chuckle over this. Um, the jug or the jar rather I'm using is a slim, tall, one liter clip top jar, um, which works really great. Um, Emma mentioned Kilner jars, which I've been generally using for any ferments, but you can find cheaper versions of Kilner jars, which will do the job. Um, I think sometimes you can get them in bargain household stores and pound stores. Um, I know IKEA is actually a good source. Um, I hope this is not considered advertising. Jesus, I'm gonna get sued. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you can get you can get really good jars from IKEA. I, I have actually a feeling that's 
where mine is from but uh, don't quote me on that um but yeah so um depending how much and how often you want to brew it but i think the one liter is about right um emma would be probably a better person to ask or dervla for that matter anyway if you're not sure you can find the recipe on our social media uh, and actually you can find all the recipes on our facebook group page and um, all the recipes up to date are there just head over to the file section and download them in a handy pdf format and yes soon there will be a whole book available or um, a collection of the recipes collected um in the first 50 episodes of our podcast so look out for that and if you liked this podcast then please leave us a review quick rating or feedback on whichever podcast platform you listen to us or hit us up on social media as always have a lovely couple of weeks have some good quality raw honey preferably local be kind to bees and stay healthy. Until next time. As every week, your host is myself, Susanna from The Sweet Spot. Music by Mark J. Adair and artwork by Gemma O'Hagan. Thank you for listening. <laughs>